Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half of the monologue. <laughs> Before unmuting myself, golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Week in Horror. And you're listening to Week in Horror. And this is Week in Horror. And you're listening to Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror. And wherever you listen to podcasts, Week in Horror. Stay scared. Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast, the only podcast that goes bump in the night. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast host, you can join us here on YouTube for our live show so you too can get in on, get in on all the bloody fun. What are you waiting for? Join us. This week, we are covering select horror films released May 15th through May 21st. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight are Eugene and Johnny O. What's up, everybody? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. It has been an awesome, awesome week. All kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the, you Fuck know, you. Just... Awesome week for who? We've been, okay, so you've been you've been sick, and cool. that sucks because you got the you you got the you got the dreaded Rona. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was no fun. My Sharona, <laughs> my, 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 my Corona. So, oh, but at least, but but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, you got it, even though you. I mean, you did get the jab, so you got. It, so it wasn't yeah. as bad as it could have been. It still no. sucked. No, and you got through it pretty fast. So. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it, like the first four days kind of sucked, and then really it's just been like weird, weird, random bits of fatigue. But I mean, other than that, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> you always had to like. I once thought I had mono for an entire year. Turns out I was just really bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, we got a bunch of stuff. I'm glad that you're feeling better. And uh, uh, Eugene, we will talk with you after after the show. Everything. Because, we'll see if Eugene's uh, feeling better after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you're in trouble, but I think Johnny. I think Johnny is is like starting to like. It's like what's that? What's that album name? The Frayed Ends of Sanity. Yep. And so, <laughs> That's not the album name, but we're okay. Oh, it's just one of the songs. Yeah. Oh, sorry, okay. Okay, this is for all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so something huge that we're going to do tonight, and um, actually, real quick before we dive dive into this, let's say hi to everybody that's around. We still have a couple people who are actually logging. This we got some people waiting in the green room. We're going to bring them up here in a second, and let's say hi to whoever, whoever we've got here. Let's see, we've got. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Bam! There's our all of our amazing patrons down there in the banner. 
You'll see them. Those are the people that helped to make this show possible. Thank you all so much. So let's see who's here. We got Travis Brown is in the house, one of our amazing patrons. Thank you so much, Travis. Appreciate you being here. Same with Cindy Johnson. Good to see you. Angel Rivera as well. Thank you so much for being here. Good to see you. Um, let's see. Tony Regime is in the house. Good to see you, Tony Regime, as well as Ivy Gentry. Thank you so much for being here. And I see you wrote it no last name. It says Gabba Gabba. Hey, everyone. Gabba Gabba to you, sir. Thank you so much for being here. And Ivy Gentry says, I was in my kink-shaming cannibals t-shirt at the horror panel at the sci-fi convention last week. That is badass. Thank yes. you so much. <laughs> we do appreciate that. Freaking cool. Let's see. Sir Chasm's in the house. Good to see you, Sir Chasm. Thank you so much for being here, bud. And then, of course, uh, H. Jasper E. There he is. Says, hi, all. Good to see H. Jasper E. Charlie Welch is in the house. Another one of our amazing patrons. Uh, the end, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie. Thank you so much for being here. And then I see, as well, NANA is in the house. Says, hi, everyone. Another one. One of our oldest patrons. Thank you so much, NANA. Love having you here. It's always a pleasure to see you. Raven Darkstar is in the house, as well. Good to see you. And Mega Pints of Skooma is in the house. Good to see Skooma. So I think that's Skooma Cat. I think that's what. No, we just found randomly found somebody else who had who you Skooma in it. So good, but good to see you. Good to see you. Completely different person. Good evening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just guessing. I could be wrong. The internet is a big place. <laughs> this is very true. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and do this. So we have a big announcement. So we're going to end. We here at the show. We decided we got together, and first and foremost, we have to say, we've been doing the bloodbath debates for quite some time, and we just completed, last month, we just completed the 29th bloodbath debate, and this month will be our 30th, the Dirty 30, so our big triple X, uh, it's not going to be triple X, but our big 30, wow. uh, number 30 <laughs> bloodbath debate, it's XXX, what the fuck, what the fuck do you want? So we decided to do something. So we decided to do something a little different. <laughs> we have decided to bring in everyone from Week in Horror to participate in this bl upcoming bloodbath debate. It will be a royal rumble, and it will be killer kids as the icons that will we that we will be representing, and everyone will be debating, and everyone. So it's it's anybody who's up for grabs. So uh, I see. So we want to bring them in. There is the lovely Angela, and, I, and Alex is here as well. Hello. Awesome. And Aaron should be popping on here shortly because we're we're about to do we're about to do the uh, the spin. So this is how we're this was so this is what we have in case. Okay. So this is what's up. This is the big announcement. So for the Dirty Thirty for the thirtieth bloodbath debate, we are going to have. All of us, so it's me, Johnny O, Eugene, Angela, Alex, and uh, Aaron taking on, and the icons that are available are Mikey from the uh, from the horror movie Mikey, Henry from the film The Good Son, Damien from The Omen, Orphan, or Esther from Orphan, uh, Rhoda from The Bad Seed, and Isaac from Children of the Corn. I so, feel like one of those is a clear cut winner, regardless, because he's a fucking. I mean, he's a devil for crying no, out. No, no, okay, no, no. It, these were all specifically selected. Damien himself has no powers. That's the point. Damien right. himself has no abilities, but his people around him. But he has things around him that will try to defend him. But like he himself cannot defend himself. Uh -huh. You get that cat alone, he's toast. Sure, yeah, but he's never he's never alone. 
so these have been well. <laughs> like what the fuck is what the fuck is Esther gonna do? She's just some like thirty year old, looks like a twelve year old. Limited, limited by limited by her child's body. So these are, <laughs> these are the six icons that we will be that we will be arguing. And what we're gonna do? So the question was because we normally only do two. How the hell are we gonna do six? And how we're gonna do this is we are going to. Oh, I see Jinju's in the house. Good to see Jinju just in time. All right, and how we're going to do this is I have all of the I have all of the names in a wheel of names. The wheel of doom. So this is us, and I have a second wheel that will choose the icon. Unfortunately, I can't share <laughs> both of them at the same time. So we're going to go one at a time. Okay. Okay, I know who all I'm right. rooting to get though. <laughs> so hopefully, 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 Aaron will pop in because if you know, oh, actually, I was, yeah, I, I'd like to see his reactions to what he's got. But here we go. So first and foremost, the first name, the first name, and click spin. Yes, boom, spin. This may take a second. So you have to bear with us. Oh fuck! Is right me. off the bat, yeah, yeah. it's me right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> we have a winner. All right. We have a and winner. I will remove myself from there. And then the question is, so now I have to share over. Why don't you just do it? like, just write them all down so we can just do one instead of having to go back and forth. Just like. Well, I got to show, I got to show the, uh, I removed it from it, but now I have to show the. Um... Well, no, I understand. No, he's, but... he's saying just spin so you know the order of names. And, and then, then spin to see. Uh, then spin the other one. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. That's a fantastic it idea. It is. Way to go, Johnny. I have them every now and again. Occasionally. <laughs> Occasionally. Okay, so okay. that was idea. That's actually pretty good. So here we go. So that was me. So I'm first in list. Sir Captain. All right. You're right. Who is next? The next person is. Solid money on Eugene. Oh, I was close. <laughs> Oh. That was close. Damn it. That was so close. Yay. Okay, remove his name. Next Look name up. I'm going to go with Angela in this one here. I say it's... Uh, oh, you... Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh. So close. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now okay, make sure there's... There he is. I just want to make sure he pops in there. Okay, next name I'm up. here, I next promise. Next name on the list. Is I say it's gonna be Eugene. That's why I already said Eugene. Eugene, oh, Johnny O. Oh, Johnny O. You're a wiener. Is a, is a wiener. Here we go between Alex and Eugene. I'll fight you for it. Oh, oh last of all. All right, and Alex. Gets last pick. Okay. Listen, it's so, not always bad to finish last, okay? This is true. That is true. That's what she said. Okay, so now we're going to share over the other tab. This is a funny other way. There we go. We're going to share this one. And here are our uh, here are our villains. Here are our horror right, icons. See who JL gets. JL's All right. So I'm first, right? Yeah. I'm first. All right. Here we go. First one up. If JL gets Damien. Who do I get? Rigged. Good son. Who do I get? What did I? Son of a motherfucker. Rigged. 
<laughs> I don't think I'm going to win with this one. So, okay, I get Damien. We've removed that. Now, let's see. This is for Aaron. Let's see who Aaron gets. Uh, give him, like... God damn it. Rigged. Rode it from the bad seed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get Esther. <laughs> okay, Angela. Yeah. See who Angela gets. Go ahead and give her Isaac. Let's just give Eugene, myself, and Alex all the hard ones. <laughs> God, motherfucker. Why would you open your mouth, Johnny? That is on you. <laughs> You're giving the wheel ideas. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, there goes my hope. And <laughs> Angela gets Isaac from Children of the Corn. Next one up. Any, any, I would like to buy a vowel as well. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So next one up is... This is going to Johnny O. Shit. Just fucking land on Esther. Get it over with. Good son for you. Nope. Oh, okay. I, oh, oh shit, Eugene. Mikey. Oh shit, Eugene. <laughs> I got the best. I got the best of the worst. <laughs> Johnny O's got Mikey. Now this is down between. This is for Eugene's villain. Who is Eugene gonna get? The thirty-year-old woman or a kid who fell off a cliff? <laughs> a, kid who was, a kid who was dropped off a cliff by his own mother. By his own mother. What? Oh, oh shit! I was like, I'm gonna get her. Already. I'll take it. All right, Eugene. Eugene has got Esther, which leaves Alex with Henry from the Spin good. Spin it anyways. <laughs> okay. That was awesome. Okay, so now we have everybody selected. Everybody's got their horror icon. Unfortunately, Aaron wasn't able to join us for this one, but we will. Uh, but uh, now everybody's got their guys, so we will formulate our arguments. And this is going to be kind of cool. So we did this new thing. Now we're also going to do something else new. We're going to do this bloodbath debate live. So we are going to take this live on YouTube. It's going to be a, a, a try to make it a pretty big event. So we're going to do it live. You're going to get to see everybody live do their debates. And I think it's going to be a blast. Um, I have, I of honestly have, do, Mr. I got the fucking son of the devil. I, it, he doesn't have any powers. He doesn't need them. He's a five-year-old kid. Who managed to walk so everybody in his way murdered. <laughs> know, it's the guy who's got Mikey. Like, now, now, if I, I had, awesome. if I had, if I had spun, if I had put like Children of the Damned in there, and I got one of them, that would be cheating. You. That's right. Shut your mouth. You did get. Children I have of the a thirty-year-old tiny woman that Thank I feel you. like I keep punches her in the face, and I have no defense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes, yes. Uh, Travis Brown asks: Are are there will will there still be special guest patrons for the uh, um, as judges? And yes, there will be. So Is those invites exactly will go out. We will do this live on YouTube on uh, the Weekend Horror Channel, and y'all get to see us do this the whole big thing instead of listening to it, uh, listening to just the audio. And then we'll drop the audio as normal on uh, when uh, things go out like, as usual. But I just wanted to make this into a big event, bring everybody on. It says Sir Kevin says doesn't doesn't yeah, have any powers. Tell that to the nanny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Angela, for popping in so we could do the uh, the big spin. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the arguments. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Toast. All right, y'all. Have, y'all have fun. a good show. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Andrew Riviera, I think I would have rather had Junior Healy from The Problem Child. At least he was inventive. <laughs> I would have gone with Dennis and Menace. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, come on. Kevin Kevin McAllister for the win. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that miniature that? jigsaw killer. Absolutely. <laughs> there, was a, there was a comedy horror film that was made, like, basically, it was Home Alone. What the fuck was the name of that movie? There's a part where one of the bad guys, he like the Kevin kid, like traps one of the bad guys in a chair and he fucking throws a paint can down and it decapitates the motherfucker, like blows his head up. I've never seen this. Oh, I gotta find this movie. It's like, what would really happen if this shit, you know what I mean? Travis Brown says, You better watch out. Is that what it is? I remember this, but that's the one with the babysitter where the kid the kid is actually in love with his babysitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah same thing. And then he hires the and then you know, like the kid's in on it the whole time. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, same, same, same. Yeah, yeah. Sir right. okay. the collector is Kevin McAllister when he's grown up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny O gets Urkel. Did yeah, I right. Do that. <laughs> At least he's got brains. <laughs> There's all dude that that key and peel sketch of Urkel being like the the, the power behind everything. Like from you, did you ever see that? No, I miss that one. Jordan Peele was playing um, Reginald uh, Reginald Bill Johnson, and he was like yelling in an argument with the producer that the, that the show Family Matters was being taken over by Steve. That Urkel mania was like pretty much had ruined oh, yeah. the show, and yeah. then and then but Jaleel comes in, is like it's me, Jaleel. It's always been me. <laughs> He's got like these psychic powers and shit. <laughs> He's like controlling everything. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was a legitimate complaint that they had, though. Like Jaleel White was <laughs> fucking roasted, man. Anyway, did I did joke. I do that? I could have gotten Pee Wee. Well, Pee Wee's an adult. Pee Wee's also terrifying because Pee Wee has like the playhouse, and and he also has problems. I'm saying we're talking about the character, not the actor. Yeah, I'm talking about the fucking character too. Anyway, I'm just saying Pee Wee could fuck up some kids. uh, Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be a big live event. We're going to go on. We're going to debate it out, and we're going to see people are going to get to see us do it live. And I think it's just going to be an entertaining as hell fun. It, it, may, it may be a complete total shit show. I have no idea. But I want to do it live. I want to do something special. So this big one is coming. It's going to be most likely. I we have it scheduled for Sunday the 29th is when we're going to be doing that. So look for that. Look for that notification on YouTube, and uh, we're going to have a blast. Unlike. Uh, some of the fucking movies we had to watch this week. Who's the who's the asshole that picks the films? (laughs) (laughs) I love how I love how JL just does that puppy dog look down in a way. Eugene Eugene makes me pick the movies. Oh no no no! Don't put that hate on me. Raven Dark says, uh, right, yeah, Pee-wee's Playhouse. That's not a chair, it's a mimic. Yep. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right, yes, but we do have, we do have some movies we want to talk about. I know that Johnny wants to get through them as quickly as possible. We have to, These are some rough ones. But there's something to be gleaned, for, I think, from all of them. And let's just not focus on, like, the acting or the 
writing or the <laughs> cinematography or you know, like either way. Eugene, mm-hmm. Eugene, what do we have up first? So first we have something. <laughs> I watched earlier today. That it was in the can. Yeah, they finished it. I will give. <laughs> they them finished that. the movie. That's they true. Finished the movie. We it's may not unbelievable, the, it. but unbelievable the names that are attached to this. And the thing is, like you, you actually recognize some of the. You recognize some of these people, like some right. of these people. Um, but first, we have the thirst that was released May fifteenth, two thousand and seven. Play it. <laughs> That's the <Wow>. trailer. <laughs> wow. How? <laughs> Eugene, I don't ever want to hear you complain about my trailers ever again. <laughs> ever again. Ever. I, I, I just I, I want to know how they got like partial rights to a Nine Inch Nails song for that trailer. Uh, because there was a time when Trent Reznor was on heroin. <laughs> 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 yeah, Tony regime. That was Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah, so that's where all their budget went. That was it. And they're like, should we actually spend our budget on the film? No, 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 no. We Trust need nine me. seconds. We oh, need nine yeah. seconds. Nine Inch Nails. Nine I, seconds. I, I, nine I, inch nails. I tell you this, man. They sure as shit didn't spend it on a fucking camera. No, they did Something not. Yeah, this was shot through like an iPod. The first iPod. The first one that didn't have a camera. <laughs> didn't have a camera. <laughs> the black and white screen to dial. You just yeah, saw. right. Fucking uh, FW Murnau was like looking at the thing, going, "What the fuck did you shoot this on?" <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I genuinely do not know. But so that is the thirst, directed by Jeremy Caston, starring, and you will recognize some of these names. Not the main guy, Matt Kess- Matt Kiesler, Kiesler, whatever. But people like Claire Kramer, who was on yeah. Buffy. You have people like Glory, Adam- just- <laughs> Glory yeah, on Buffy, Glory like the season Buffy. five antagonist. <laughs> yeah, like the main villain in season five. You also have Jeremy Sisto, Serena Scott Thomas, Neil Jackson, Adam Baldwin. <laughs> this is after Firefly. Post Adam Firefly. Baldwin. <laughs> Post Firefly. <laughs> I remember. I remember when having a Baldwin attached to your film or your project meant something. Yeah, that's that's now okay. I've met Alan Baldwin. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He is completely awesome. But I guess he he has bills to pay. And and some other people: Tom Link, Ellie Cornell, and Eric Padalino. Okay, I'll tell you what, it was weird. Okay, so this this got me about this particular one. So you've got you've got Glory from Buffy. You know, so Claire Kramer, who was Glory in Buffy. Fucking Andrew, Tom Lank, who played Andrew in Buffy, was in this as well, and this like a small role. Fucking Adam Baldwin is, you know, is, and the the faces you'll see them. Um Paladino as well. Um Eric Paladino, I've seen him in a number of things. It's just wild. And then there was another dude, Neil Jackson. And I remember so I was like, Neil Jackson, where do I recognize him from? Fuck, he was in Push with uh with uh with Chris Evans. This the the Psychics movie, you know, yeah. with Dakota Fanning and like that. He played um Javon Huso's huh? He was in Blade too. Blade, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in Blade. He was in um Blade the series. The series. Oh, the series, yeah, the series. Yeah. With uh with uh the with the rapper Sticky Fingers. 
No last name is figure this out. I think so. So, what was the what was the plot in this, Eugene? Is there a plot? Okay. It's basically you have a group of vampires that go and offer eternal life, but they try to basically stay away and cut their thirst off from people, and then eventually the people they turn just turn against them, and a huge bloodbath ensues. Yeah, pretty that's much. it. Pretty, that's pretty much it. Hey, hey, Commander Darklight, good to see you. One of our uh, one of our patrons, and hey, Skid Scratcher, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Sir Chasm says I watched the first forty five minutes, asking what the actual fuck. I can't believe you made it through forty five minutes. Right, <laughs> Sir Cab says Asylum presents. <clears throat> no, this doesn't even classify as an asylum picture. At least they have equipment. Yeah, <laughs> As- Asylum is like, hey, we want it to look bad because we can. These people are just like, this is the best we can do. The best we could do. Uh, yeah. Well, like, what is your budget? I have some coupons from McDonald's. What can yeah. I get? Me? What can I get? I got a free French fry. So I, I was trying to. So I was watching this thing, and obviously it's it's you know I was I was muddling my way through it, despite the fact that one terrible lighting, the thing was way too dark, and the sound was was not great, and the you know the script the, the script in and of itself, like the the dialogue and everything, was just terrible. So whoever you know wrote this, it was um fucking. Actually, technically, there were like five writers on this. There was Jeremy Casson, who was the director. There was Mark Altman, Wayne Mahon, uh, Liz, uh, I think it's Liz Matchy, and Ben Lustig. All worked on this. So this thing went through a number of rewrites. So whoever wrote this thing, or whoever like settled on the dialogue, just has no concept. And hey, Surf, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. That was problematic, because the dialogue in and of itself was just bad. And, you know... Acting choices wise, Jeremy Sisto's ridiculous uh, Sisto's ridiculous accent, and then everyone was just pretty much being zany and crazy, and just is that what that was supposed to be? That was supposed yeah. To be accent? That's what I got. That's what I took away from it. I thought maybe he was he had a stroke or something. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I thought he was slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, but okay. So, and I'm sitting here watching this damn thing, and I'm trying to I'm trying to muddle through. So. The, the themes of the film have been done before, and this is just a, a terrible way of doing this. It's like, the themes of the film revolve around vampirism as an addiction and how the uh, and how addicts you know deal with that. So it was trying to find a way to so this, the movie in itself is trying to find a way to juxtapose the the kind of um, I guess the tribulate or the the difficulties of, of being an addict and then trading one addiction for another one. So where that's essentially what addicts do is that they may be able to get clean from one thing, but they wind up just typically they, they wind up just replacing the addiction with something else. And I understand what they were trying to do in, in doing kind of like showcasing it, just the, in, the, in this respect. I understood what they were trying to do. I think. No, no I, I can see what they were trying to do, but it was just the, obviously they did, 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 did not in any way stick the landing. In fact, Hit the ground, rum, you know, rolled, broke everything in its body, and then fell off the back of the truck. It's <laughs> just, 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 just like road rash it all the way down, <laughs> just trying to trying to drop this thing. Um, the big thing about this one is, obviously, on paper, you may have a solid idea, but I think that this is an example of what happens when you have an extremely limited budget and you have way too many cooks in the kitchen, and you spend your money in the wrong places, and you have no plan. So, yeah, you can tell they spent a little bit of money. Just it, again, it was on blood. It was on the rights to the Nine Inch Nails song, and I think that was it. 
I think that's where they spent the major. And well, of course, some of their acting choices, like Baldwin and whatnot. You know, he right. I'm sure he was a bit above scale when it comes to hey, you want to do this film? Uh, but outside of that, oh my goodness, it was very difficult to want to look at this movie. I mean, like actually look at it because. You couldn't see half of it. You didn't know what the fuck was going on. Most right. Of it was Visually, extraordinarily dark. It was, yeah, exactly. It was very difficult to look at. And then the it's, sound. It, you, you can almost forgive that. If it, look, look, okay, any any filmmakers out there, if you, you, can, you can have bad picture. Uh, you can go soft here and there every now and again talking about focus-wise. But the number one thing, the number one thing that will kill your film is going to be audio. Always, period. If you do not have strong audio, that's one thing that nobody forgives. Right. I don't know why it is, but that's that's the way it is. Well, okay. I mean, if you're trying to convey a story, if you can't hear the goddamn story, then what's the fucking point? Well, well sure. Go ahead. Well, because well, even like, because you're right, because picture-wise, people just assume it's stylistic. Right. Because you even take something like your Blair Witch Project. I know the Blair Witch Project is a good film, but you look at the cinematography of it, it's just shaky, found footage, all this other kind of stuff. People will just accept it. You can, you, we've all seen some of the cheapest looking films that can kind of get, get away with the story and everything like that. But man, audio, audio would just pull you out yep. so quick because you instantly know it's a mistake. Right. Instead of it being a creative choice, it it could be a bad creative choice, but you can go visually. That's still a creative choice. Yeah, they were versus, trying to say something visually versus. Yeah. What the fuck was it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking hell. On the, and then on top of that, if you're going to spend money on blood and gore, it would be cool to see it. Right. It yeah. was that was that that was that was what was weird, and it kept and it kept pulling me out of the movie. Was was the biggest issue that I had with this. Was despite the fact that you know, I mean, a healthy dose of, of TNA to at least try to keep you like looking at the screen, and of course, super amounts of violence and you know all kinds of just like yeah, you know, and everybody in this is a, you know, and like this is the universe where people have high pressure you know systems within their bodies. So whenever you like rip them open, they spray everywhere like it's like a geyser. Yeah. So everybody is high. All, all of the victims are high pressure in this one, and I get what they were trying to do, but the problem is, is that. When you're going for that much gratuitous violence, you're going for that much blood, and you want to showcase it, and the the, the I guess the editing choices that they were making when they were like like shaky cam, using a lot of shaky cam, using a lot of Dutch angles, moving the camera around a whole lot, like everything was just chaotic, almost like uh, to the found, almost like to a found footage degree. It takes away from a lot of it because you don't get to focus on any one particular thing, and. I, I get where the cinematographer was trying to approach it in a frenetic style to kind of emulate the characters that, that are being filmed. So like these characters are frenetic, they're crazy, they're out of their minds. It's just, you know, it's like the, their life is a playground, they can do whatever the hell they want. Destruction and chaos and do whatever. And they try to, you know, kind of like draw the audience in by having the camera kind of emulate that thing. The problem is, is that that's not that was counterproductive. They used that the when wrong you're camera for that, that's the problem. If they wanted to do that, they used, they should have used something that had excellent low light sensor. That way, it would have pulled out some of that. You could see what the fuck was going on. Right, and and another big thing is that when that the 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 filmmaker knows 
that when you're watching a movie like this, they know that the audience does not behave like these characters. So you don't try to you don't try to use the camera to make the audience to put the audience in their shoes. You want to juxtapose how different they are from the audience. So you want stabilized shots. You want to see the chaos in, from from your perspective. From so you can be like, wow, these people are these vampires are freaking insane. But trying to like jump around there, and I kept getting it. And while it's a bad move, I think cinema, from a cinematography uh, standpoint, I honestly think they were doing it because they knew how bad it was going to look. See, and, and this that, is this this is the point that because I, I was going to make because in, ter- in terms of shaky cam, it felt more like they were trying to cover up stuff. Right, there's right. A, a lot more covering. Yeah, instead which of which would have worked, story. which would have worked. Well, I guess it would have worked better had the audio been on point. This is true. Yeah. yeah. Because it, it was, it, and it was strange. I mean, there, there I go into the planning thing again because even though they're trying to, I even though they were trying to do this kind of like inter, this like strange little spin on vampires, and they're trying to tell like a deeper story here. It's lost in everything, and the audience can never connect to it. And what was really weird was they. Some scenes they were able to 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 get the sound on adequately, and I'm saying adequately very loosely. And other ones they could they they couldn't get the sound appropriate at all. And I thought it was weird that they would shoot a scene, multiple scenes in a nightclub. And I understand that you know when you're going when you're going in to shoot in a nightclub, there's no actual music going on, nobody's actually talking. The only voices that you have that are actually being heard on on uh, on audio are the actors. Everyone else is silent and pantomiming around them, so it's actually when they're shooting, it's dead silent. And then you have the actors, and then everything else is laid in in post. But capturing sound in a big open space with a lot of people that are you know like walking around or moving around or dancing or doing whatever trying to catch sound of that is a lot different than catching sound inside like an enclosed space like in the hospital room at the very beginning or in that little shack that they were that little abandoned oh that that little uh, cabin that they were all staying in these are you know knowing your different environments and how to capture your sound is really really important that's why you need to have a plan for every place you're going to be capturing sound whether you're outside, inside, what you know, what you uh, what the composition of your area is, because sound plays differently depending upon where you are, and they it's almost like they had one good setup and they try to use that exact same setup every other place, which is strange because given the amount of money that went towards casting and other things in this, did they not have a sound person that knew what they were doing? And see that that could have been an issue in terms of maybe cutting corners. They invested all that onto those actors, and then you just get basically bottom of the barrel people that know what they're doing. But this is what I always tell people in terms of beginning filmmakers, because I get people will hit me up all the time asking for tips, advice, or anything like that. And I tell people, learn how to make a technically sound film first. Right. Right do just you can do just a table scene two actors sitting at a table talking and they can be talking about whatever or anything like that and learn how to capture that well getting good audio being able to light that being able to schedule that being able to get good good shots off of that being able to edit it being able to do all those things and just and a lot of times and a lot of times filmmakers oh well i got this big idea and i want to do this and this right. and all me and it's like no 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 you can't do that yet get yep. technically sound because if you cannot do that no one's going to pay attention to your story 
nobody's going to give a shit about this great idea that you have if it's poorly lit, terrible audio, right? Um, choppy camera work. <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, they, everybody talks about, you know, what's the first thing you're supposed to learn in film school is a 10,000 hour rule. You got to put 10,000 hours into your gear. You have to know it inside and out. Like, you know, uh, Eugene and I recently have purchased new gear. You think I just bought some new shit? I'm like, nah, I'm going to sit over his side. No, I got it out. I played with it. I put it together. Took it mm-hmm. apart. All kinds of shit. Know the ins and outs of it. That way, when you're on set and somebody says, hey, I need this car rig, I can pull it out, put it together, and put it where it goes. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's a different story. But knowing your your stuff, know, like Eugene said, technically sound, knowing how to capture good audio, knowing how to p- position a camera, knowing... You know the three-point rule when it comes to lighting; those little things like that are really going to help. Uh, and, and yes, so like like the film, like the, like the film Ghost in the Darkness, and I know that's a fictional film based on actual events, but he brings in there like you never go into battle with an untested weapon. Don't you don't just trade guns with people. And I know right. from military experience, Eugene knows what I'm talking about. You don't just pick you know pick up a gun that you've never handled before, and you just go to town with. It. You have no idea the condition it's in. You have no idea what's going to happen. And if something you know, and and if something goes wrong, you don't know how to quickly fix it because that's not your gun. And the same thing goes with this. If you just grab equipment, it's like oh I got something expensive. It's like putting it's like putting a nuclear weapon in a monkey's hands. It's like if you if you give a like fresh out of film school dude a freaking red, and tell him to go out there, it, it's a red. Just because he's got a red does, or just because they have a red doesn't mean they're going to turn right. in something amazing. Right? You know, it's going to probably look like shit <laughs> because yeah. you got you got to know what got to know what uh, what you're doing. And uh, Sir Kazan brings up they had an opportunity for a truly amazing character study in addiction, like Requiem for a Dream, but they blew it. And yeah. I think that's, that's another that's a good example of what it is to turn in a a stylistic movie. If you look at that, that thing looks like it was shot on a potato. Now, granted, it's an older film. But even still, even for the even for the the amount of technology that was around then, that film visually, when you look at like it's real grainy, um, you know, sometimes it's overexposed. But all that stuff looks like a choice, as opposed right. to this film, that everything just looks like a mistake. And sarcasm also brings up just saw one like Eugene is describing called The Odds, and we actually showed this one over on uh, the Weekend Horror Discord, where essentially the, the whole movie was two people. It was a guy and a girl sitting across from a table, and and the and she has to engage in challenges that get increasingly more difficult over that become more you know uh, harmful to herself. And it's about how much is she willing to sacrifice for how much that she, how much she's getting. And so and she can call it off at any time. She's not being forced and also. But it was literally two people talking, and they, there's a there's a phenomenal amount of conversation that are, there's a, that occurs between them. That's the strength of writing, but the the lighting, the sound, everything was amazing. Because when done amazing and done well, and you know what you're doing, you put the audience in that room with them, mm-hmm. and that it worked very very well. But obviously, not what happened here. And I know it was this film was marketed as like you know the Requiem for a Dream meets uh, Thirty Days of Night, which. I know what they what they were trying to do, but that's man, very very that's, ambitious of them. That's yeah, extremely that, ambitious. Yeah, it is. <laughs> plus, on top of that, the thing is, if you're if you want your main theme to be addiction, you have to actually know something about addiction. Like when you watch Requiem for a Dream, you can tell the nuggets. You can tell. I don't know in terms of Darren Akoski, his experience with drugs or anything like that. Maybe he knew. Something. I don't. I don't. I don't know where he got the idea for Requiem for a Dream, but you can tell. It, there's experience. He's done research into it. He's done the way how easily people are become addicted to drugs. 
how hard it is and it feels real right so you just you have to know the themes that you want to portray in your film not to mention it's like that's the, the the tones of those two films i mean that's why you know, i agree with johnny way way ambitious because tonally those films are so wildly different whereas yeah. requiem for a dream was a meditation on the horrors of addiction and 30 days of night was 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 the, well, I was a frenetic uh, bloodletting deal where vamp that turned that kind of like turned the vamp took the the vampire myth and kind of flipped it and you know just like this is what these creatures are they're these unstoppable killing machines that do this because they're in pain and this is all they they're, they're driven to do and so it kind of like made I, in in a way it, it was a scary version of vampires there's nothing romantic about them that they are horrific monsters. And I loved the setup. I loved the, the graphic novels. I loved the film. Try, but that's like high energy. You got super high energy with this really low brooding, slow burn energy. And one's this, one's definitely an uh, an action horror film. The other one was a deep psychological kind of traumatic horror. Um, um, a little bit abstract, kind with of. a bit of an abstract yeah. surreal yeah. with some surrealism as well. Trying to blend those two would take. I, I would have. I mean, not to chop. You know, not not to try and talk about my own writing skills, but I would be hesitant to try and blend those two. That takes it's a like thing to do. That takes yeah. a master because, level writing. That yeah, if you think about it, those are those are huge stylistic choices individually, right? I mean? And then try and put it to put those together. It's you know, it's like when they put rap and rock together. It just didn't work. I personally wouldn't have shot Jeremy Sisto's character as kind of like the leader of this little cult and everything that he was trying to. I definitely wouldn't have shot him the way he was shot, and his dialogue would have been a little bit more pointed and hard hitting, and it would have been a little bit more focused. They're that not way, my just friends. <laughs> that way, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered the dialogue you wrote because you couldn't hear it anyway. Yeah, right. This is true. Yeah, this is this is absolutely true. But um, I think for anybody who has seen this film, everybody takes time to watch this movie, especially for burgeoning filmmakers. Taking a look at this is another one of those magnificent examples where, I mean, if you are a gore hound and you're just watching you know, horror for the gore and how crazy, how much fake blood can we dump into this motherfucker? That you can't yeah. see. Huh? That you can't see. That you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty much like it, it literally just turns like it turns everything crimson. So it's like if you, if you want to see something like that, Go for it. This is definitely up your alley. But for burgeoning filmmakers, for people who are just starting out, watching low budget films like this, for you know, like real, I would say early efforts of filmmakers, you watch this to see like what you don't do. You watch this to see like the the pitfalls of the people that come before you, and you recognize, oh, okay, I see where they fail, where they went wrong with this one. How could they have done this better? Um, could this have been done better? Or because I think in some deals that I, I, I don't think it could it could have been improved on. I think that the the extreme lack of planning is what it wound up screwing them in the end. Because a I lot really of I really hope that this was extreme lack of planning. A lot yeah. of it felt rushed. It felt very rushed. Like they were trying to get through it as fast as possible. So because you've got big names attached to it, you've got I mean several big names. These people are busy, and if you've only got them for for a, for a certain amount of time, you've got to get shooting done. And if you just pretty much, okay, we'll just go with it and we'll just try and do whatever we can to it. And then try to, like, I guess, uh, this way, I guess too much reliance on we'll fix it in post. Yeah, I fucking hate yeah. that shit. Yeah. But what I actually, I would like to ask the audience, because I felt like we've talked enough about this film. Agreed. Agreed. What, what is your favorite addiction horror? 
Fido. Fido. Or I would say, yeah, like like horror films with addiction themes, um, where like the protagonist like has to overcome something. I actually think one of my one of my favorites was uh actually I have to say too, Fido was good. Fido was funny, but I think as far as it is as far as addiction themes go, I would say uh Warm Bodies was good as the zombie trying to overcome his addiction to brains and right. follow as he's falling in love with this one particular character leading to the eventual cure mm-hmm. for for what they are which i thought was just brilliantly done i think that one was good and i think um there was a uh, i think there was a vampire one i, I can't remember like that ghost but mars i'm throwing things at you no i'm not saying ghost of mars <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, that movie taught people that it's okay to be addicted to drugs because it keeps you from being possessed by the ghosts. Two <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> drugs, kids. <laughs> the top there was, old, there drugs. was a there was a movie that did that where it was uh, it was uh, Grabbers, where it was an Irish film where the oh, aliens come and they're attacking Irish people, and then the only way they can keep themselves safe is that they they have to stay drunk. Yeah. Is that they're they're full, like fully intoxicated because the grabbers are like dr- like drinking the the water out of their bodies, and so in order to keep themselves from being attacked, they have to they have to like get like shit like we're talking like shit face yeah. drunk through the whole fucking movie, and so because <laughs> it makes them unappealing to the aliens, which is so why would hilarious. the aliens go to Ireland to begin with? I don't know. <laughs> the aliens don't know any better. They're just like we're just going to start here. Hey, this is a pretty town. <laughs> Rodan Ellison brings up uh Rodan Ellison brings up the hunger. Um yes, with that was with uh David Bowie. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And Sir Cavs Requiem for a Dream. Hands down, horror film thrown into the drama genre incorrectly. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I would agree also. And Travis Brown brings up brain damage. Agree with that. Uh, I remember the first time I watched Requiem for a Dream, there was like, oh yeah, it's got Jennifer Connolly. She does a lot of nude scenes. Like, all right, Jennifer Connolly, nude. No. No. Mm-mm. No. Nope. Just not. No. 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 A lot of implied stuff. Mm. No. I, mm. yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the last scene she's in. I know. <laughs> it's just like new. This is this is horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would be hot, and I was so wrong. That was. <laughs> I was so wrong. I just you just made, you just feel dirty. It just goes oh. like. Ugh. Yeah, like, I think the first yeah. I think the thing that I saw Keith David in before last thing I saw him in was uh, probably They Live. <laughs> oh, I like Keith David. Like, no, I don't like him so much anymore. I don't like him. <laughs> 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 All right. All right, Johnny. What do we got next? I don't even know. This one's a bit more fun. This it is a little bit more fun because it whatever. We're just gonna get into it. Uh, <sighs> who likes Canadian horror films? Not yeah. even Canadians. Nineteen eighty two, nineteen eighty three. We have the Canadian horror film directed by Robert Klaus called Deadly Eyes. Jail. Let's check out this awesome trailer. The previous bit of proof for all audiences. Oh. Look at that old Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the best part about that movie is Scatman Crothers. It was this big. <laughs> oh man. You should have just 
shined them away. That's all I'm saying. All right, so basically, this is a 1982-83 Canadian horror film. It was directed by Robert Class, as we said, loosely based on the 1974 horror novel The Rats by James Herbert. Uh, we have giant black rats who begin eating residents of Toronto. Um, why they got to be black? I don't know. I didn't it, look. It's just what the thing says. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> uh, the cast has Sam Groom, Sarah Botsford, Scatman Crothers, obviously, because he's the best. C. Slender, Lisa Langlis, and Leslie Donaldson, uh, produced by Who Gives a Shit. This movie was, if you like weird animal horror films, this is a Canadian film for you. I love how the intro, I love love how the the intro credits, the intro credits had, Scatman Brothers had his own image. Yep. Like, like, because they did that, because back then in the 80s, the, the, the credits were typically reversed. And you had like the opening deals of the show, and he was like, and it's Scatman and special appearance by Scatman Crothers, like right there at the beginning. I was like, at first, I was like, wait a minute, did I skip through the end of the like the fucking movie? I was like, oh no, no, they just just did that special for him. So, (laughs) (laughs) this okay, so obviously, looking at it from from, uh, from from a kind of like an outside, you know, outside perspective, this is definitely uh. This was Jaws meets like your your classic eco horror film of the seventies yeah. and eighties that we love talking about is what is what this was. Of course, I think it has to be brought up that everything was practical in this film, the, which, is the, 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 yeah. which is a plus. They said the rat, and I thought the rat puppets were actually fairly decent because there were puppets, and then there were I shit you not, and I fucking love this dachshunds yeah. dressed up as rats. Yep. And there is a behind the scene. There is like behind the scenes imagery of the dachshunds in their little costumes, with the heads off, so you could see them. And I was like, I was trying to imagine being on this set. And when there's like oh, swarming the people, it's like, oh, there's like, and trying to act like you're scared, but they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And when they're running. They're like, there's like, that's those, not how like, rat runs. Those are wiener dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those are wiener dogs. And when they're going, and I mean, if you're looking at it, I mean, the cinematography was fantastic. I love the shots of them of when they're running in in uh, big groups and they're like piling on top of people. It looks fantastic. It's just you recognize they're going. Oh, these are like puppies. These are like little dogs. <laughs> it just makes it all the more fun. Um, when the and, kids just went to New York and got those size rats. Yeah. Any old time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the I would say the uh, but the puppetry I thought was pretty damn good. The scenes of like rats biting people. I mean, they were pretty yeah. fearsome looking, pretty gross looking. Lots of blood and guts. And some really weird extended TNA sales. Like, I'm not sure. Which, I the little side plot. The side plot. It was like the yeah. side plot of the teacher and the and man. It, okay, what was it about the 80s? Was, I, I I grew up in the 80s, but I wasn't an adult in the 80s. Shit really go down that fast because they like met and, and like then <laughs> they like just met in passing like hey how's I mean, it going hey how's it going and then that you, night pow it's like what the fuck? listen this is before this is yeah, before so yeah I was just gonna say we've got Tinder and Grinder now so I mean <laughs> yeah I don't know. see the thing is is like today people have so many options that they're like oh well I can't wait back then you met like fifty people. And half of them were like guys, so you got twenty five to pick from. 
Like that, like that's it. That's and all some you of those I, dudes I, look like me. I liked having I liked having the the, the lead actress. Um, uh, it was uh, Sarah Botsford. I liked her as the as the as strong as the strong independent woman who is who makes the decisions on these. And after watching a movie like Rattlers, like we did a few weeks ago, it was nice to see a hero in kind of the same same situation who is not a complete and total dick. Dumbass. You know, who's not like because that guy was a misogynistic asshole, yeah. and that was his arc was to go from misogynistic misogynistic asshole to like not so misogynistic yeah. asshole. To uh, instead of saying tits, now he says breasts. Yeah, <laughs> and and so, then of course the weird subplot of the student trying to bang her teacher. <laughs> and it was like, like I mean, that's just like that's you know it's like everybody's every guy's fantasy, right? So you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. There is. But I thoroughly, I I liked yeah. the I liked the the Jaws meet the, the kind of like Jaws meets eco horror theme of it the uh, the the contaminated grain with the with the super steroids that are in it and then I don't recall there being contaminated fish that Bruce ate. I don't I don't recall <laughs> and then of course I love it because Jaws Amity you 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 got uh, Amity Island you've got the mayor's like we're not closing anything down there's no shark and they they must go on you know blah 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 you, know, you got to remember this... this is before it was a cliche right. That was before the yes uh, of the, of the and this time it's you no know, we have a new subway extension and it has to go open because it's a big grand it was like i guess subway rats ocean shark i guess it works but sure. <laughs> well, they're, they're hoping they're hoping it was okay well jaws came out in 75 so maybe enough time passed that they won't realize that we're just pulling straight from Jaws. It's the exact same movie, but different. <laughs> but different. <laughs> uh, I, and I still, the practical effects are what make this. Absolutely, I absolutely loved that. Uh, hey, um, I see it was a Nerd Journal's in the house. Good to see you, Nerd Journal. Thanks Dave's so much for popping in. But I, I love the practical effects. The practical effects are what make this. And not to mention... Um, I, you get notes from a bunch of other uh, different, a bunch of other different little films. They kind of took one like the movie theater scene had it was reminiscent of the Blob, uh, right. good classic monster uh, monster scene. Oh, and sure. Of, this movie does have a lot of. It, there's a lot of uh, allusions to other films, which I think right. is really cool. Yeah, it, it doesn't. The classic, the classic like creature it. feature, the classic creature feature. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. And you know that the whole the, the theater scene was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I got. I got Jaws and what was the other one? It had the bugs and they they put the rattles in your seats like for real. Like when you went. Oh, uh, the the tingler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, so how many times? And I I have to say this, you know, watching there there are moments where it's 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 laugh out loud, almost MST3K style, but it's still fun. It's it's a fun movie. You you get you get some good. I mean, just this is one of those just classic little horror films. But how many times? There's like R U S. I kept thinking Princess Bride. Well, but what about the R.U.S.s? Rodents of unusual size? <laughs> I don't think they exist. And then the rats were jumping at people. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. You just couldn't resist it. Yeah. But I had to look. I had to look into it. it. Look, here's the thing. This is a movie that, if you have no expectations, you're gonna have a good time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, that's what the, okay this is unlike the, the the film that we previously talked about this is this this is where a solid where a solid i guess like so this is your basic solid filmmaking package 
where things are well planned out, things are well budgeted. You have decent writing because I never was, I never, the acting itself was strong. I enjoyed it. I, you, you get the feeling you've seen it before, but like I said, it's a good time. It's nice and gory and violent, lots of blood, and you know, and then of course the, the rats, you know, are, are done well. I never got the feeling like he's like, oh, that looks so utterly fake because they knew when to use their lighting and when not to use uh, their lighting. They took a page out of Spielberg's uh, notebook, and that is, it's you know, that which you don't see is a lot scarier. Sure. Yeah. And by the way, I would like to point out that this movie is what twenty five years older than the one we just previously talked about, and looks a hundred times better. A hundred times better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looks so much better. And this is this is considered low to mid tier budget. Even for, for the eighties, even for the yeah, 80s. even for the eighties, and it still looks so much better. <laughs> I wrote it in the same. So Tremors was a ripoff of Deadly Eyes. I would say in the in the kind of the same vein, yeah, you know, where it, it follows that same kind of formula, where you have the unseen, the unseen threat, and then you have the uh, the the few people, like the two people that know about it. They try to alert everybody, and then shit, you know, like Eugene says, the shit shit gets real. And um, I like that it it had a, it had multiple elements and it blended them together very very well. So as far as like '80s horror film, especially an 80, '80s Canadian horror film, you can you can't go wrong with this one. And not to mention it's seeing you, yeah. seeing Dachshunds run around dressed up as rats is absolutely <laughs> it's just it's just freaking adorable. Um, Come here, I can lick your face off. Oh, it's so scary. <laughs> when the guy when the guy goes uh when the old man is being tracked through the park and then he like tumbles over the railing and slides down into the uh I guess into the little basement area and he he slides down the stairs like oh and then they just like pile down on top of it. So I was like, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like jumping on him and everything. And I was like, this is great. Um I wanted to show uh, this this particular picture, which was fantastic. Um, I have to show this. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to show the audience. Um, so this is what they were working with. Uh, and I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I'm going to pull this up so that everyone can see it. But this was a behind-the-scenes still from from the movie, and this is them. So this is them with their little rat heads off. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I'm so scared. I'm, oh, I'm no. just terrified. I'm terrified. That would have been a fun. That would this definitely would have been a fun shoot to be on. It absolutely would have. Yeah. Are we done talking? We spent like forty minutes talking about other piece of shit. We didn't give this one to do. I guess we're done with this one. Well, I mean, Deadly, be, I mean, watch it. We can stre- we can stress how much fun it is. It, no, I mean, that'd be really. There's nothing else to say. It really. I mean, honestly, it's a it's a giant puppy dog. I mean, rat movie that is fun. It really is fun. Yeah. Critically, I mean, critically, when it came out, the, the it wasn't well. I mean, oftentimes when horror movies hit the, uh, <laughs> the sarcasm says, "Cue the awe." <laughs> how to defeat? Okay. Wrote in the last name. How to defeat the deadly eyes? Throw a tennis ball. Oh, tennis ball. Get away from me! <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! They brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> They've evolved. <laughs> So, but the the film itself wasn't uh, as usual with horror films are coming out in the eighties. The film was pretty much critically panned. James Herbert, who wrote the original novel, he really didn't like 
what the filmmakers did to his original story, and he thought it was absolute rubbish. I mean, that's the the kind of gauntlet you run when you're adapting novels, trying to turn them into you know turn them into horror films. It happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, the look, critical look, the critical reception people, of this is it's uh-huh. not going to happen. There's no such thing as oh that movie is better. Look, here's the thing: they're two completely different genres. Stop trying to compare them. Fuck's sake. Different mediums. Yes, different mediums. Right. And I like the fact that, and what really struck me, and I, and I, it stood out to me, was from, and I, you know, I know how much of a word it is, but from a feminism standpoint, I liked the fact that it's got the, the lead female, female characters in this. They're, they're rare for what is typically a horror film, that they have especially sexuality, they have power, and they don't come off, especially in the 80s. Yeah, they don't come off like your, your, archety- your archetypical uh, slut characters. You know that they have, uh, they have character, they have depth, and they have desires, and they, they, they're, they're not, not just there to be set design. Exactly, yeah. they're not set pieces, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was a bit more progressive than I think they anticipated. But I like the fact that the that the writer went that direction, and so did the director, and they kept that in there, um, which was I, honestly, you know, they they didn't exist as grist for the nudity mill, and it's it stuck out to me. Which was odd. I think that was an odd experience. I wasn't anticipating that. You know, that kind of, kind of. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but it kind of threw me. I was like, "Holy shit!" And got me to invest a little bit more. I was like, "Damn, I wasn't anticipating this." It was like, "I'm impressed, deeply impressed." I don't think I was really paying attention to it. I guess it was just seemed a little more second nature to me. I didn't think about that from that aspect because there was other TNA in there that you know took your attention away from the fact that there wasn't TNA from these certain characters. So I don't know. I, I didn't really, it wasn't like, Oh, Hey, wow. Strong, char- strong female lead here. It was just like, Oh, cool. Dude. Yeah. yeah I, I don't, I don't uh-huh. think about it unless it like kind of comes the other way. So when you have, when you have, for example, like women, you kind of treat it equally. It's just like, Oh, it's part of a movie. But when you take rattlers, rattlers, and it's like, uh, you won't understand bitch. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. know your place oh yeah. i'm so sorry i didn't mean to speak up i was like what the, the, yeah. uh, and uh who is it um sir Kaz brings up they're not american well uh may have to agree and i, I find myself inclined to, to inclined to agree with that see because unlike very specific directors because wes craven has always been really big on strong wes craven was always big on strong female characters that weren't just final girls but strong female characters that could that could lead that uh, and that it's prevalent throughout the entire Friday Thirteenth uh, or sorry the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. It's prevalent in his other films as well. In uh, uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Yep. And what he did that was a good focus. That was a strong focus for him. And I like that he went in that direction. But um, it, when you juxtapose it against American cinematography, it's it's really really the disrespect. Of female characters becomes really apparent, and it kind of like shocked me a little bit. Yeah, especially in things like the Rattlers. Know your place, yeah. bitch. I'm so that, that was shocking. It was Fuck shocking. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> Did I just watch that? Oh, I was like, this was acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Funny. This was the, the oh. director looked at this and was like, yeah, I'm okay with it. Print it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh jeez! There was a remake of this that uh, came out, I think, in two thousand two, called The Rats, um, which tried to be a little bit more, uh, tried to be a little bit more um, true to the novel. Giant, it was less giant rat, and more just rat, rat, regular rat. And, and uh, I think it was uh, it was directed by John Lafia, who uh, di- directed um, 
I was, it was involved in the Child's Play uh, franchise. And they, they actually set the, that, that one in New York instead of trying to make Toronto look like New York. And then, of course, uh, I think it was delayed. It was delayed uh, because Nerd of September. Journal. What do you say? What do you say? Oh, I see what he did. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Oh, not soon enough, Nerd Journal. Yep. <laughs> Tony James says, that's what I like about Julia Warner as Mary Septon in The Puppet Masters, a strong female who isn't just set dressing. Yep. Agreed. It's yep. something you don't often find. And I think uh, is one of the one of the, the there's a lot of little hidden gems in this particular yep. movie that I think if you look at it, it's like, oh, rats, you know, whatever. People might. And of course, the poster was kind of like, oh, there's eyes on it, deadly eyes. And right. you know, people might, might pass on it because they don't really have an idea of what the film is about. But definitely give it a look. Um, it's a good I mean, a strong example of the more progressive ideologies of filmmaking that were coming out of Canada and coming out of other countries that just didn't look at women in horror films the same way American films did. And I think American films, American horror films have been kind of slow to catch up to. The horror genre has always been a funny one because I mean, let's be honest, the majority of people for the longest time who were into the horror film genre were men. So they knew what their young teenage men, they knew where their audience was, right? Between 17 and 25 years old, uh, male audience predominantly. It wasn't until later on that women started really getting into this too that, you know, well, now we can start putting in, you know, uh, what's his name? Chris Hemsworth. And he brings ladies. Anyway, uh, what I want to know, though, speaking of good rat horror films, what is your favorite rat horror movie? Let us know at weekendhorror at gmail.com in the side chat or comment down below. We're curious. Favorite rat horror movie? Hmm. What's that Stephen King one? Oh, Graveyard Shift. Graveyard Shift. That's it. Yeah. We showed that one the other night. Uh, I just kind of, I was like, I came across, I was like, you know, I haven't watched this one in a while. I want to watch it because I want to see some Brad Dourif. You know, Redhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the scene, the scene with with uh, with uh, Divoff with Andrew yeah. when he's like lighting the, yeah. and it was it was a good that was a good moment because he's in the dark and he's got yeah. the the Zippo and he's trying to light it and then he finally lights it and he's like. Ha huh. and then whoa! <laughs> and then like this scene. I was like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> and then all you see are feet being or being dragged away. <laughs> I love that. I love that movie. Obviously, Brad Dourif is great as the Exterminator. Just a good moment. But I love Stephen Mocked in that film because his vile northeastern, his vile Maine. Mentality, just the whole like you know, is misogynistic, ruthless, disgusting, you know, uh, uh, foreman of the mill, and he ate every scene. It was just perfect <laughs> until finally he goes like full Vietnam against the monster, and he's just like, oh, I love this scene. We're going to we're going to hell together, <laughs> and jumps at the monster with a freaking knife. And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, beautiful shit. I love it. Oh, man. JL, what monstrosity do we have next? Okay, so this next one. (laughs) Um, I do have to say, I I wanted to throw out, uh, Food of the Gods is also pretty good, too. Food of the Gods and Food of the Gods, too, are both really, really good. All right, so... um, uh, oh yeah, we got some love for Willard in there as well. Willard, mm-hmm. the, the Willard, they, the, I actually, honestly, I think the the remake was a little bit better than the original. I thought the remake was good because you, you know, being better technology, they could do a lot more with the rats. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a, a bunch of good ones out there. But this next one we're going to talk about. 
or I may talk about because I think I may have been the only one to see this one. And there's a reason for that. And this That's came out. Garbage. This this one came out May seventeenth, two thousand five, and it is Ghost Lake. Let's take a look at this trailer. I'm surprised you found a trailer. I know, right? I'm surprised. Yeah, I was shocked. I found the fucking movie. Ghost Lake. Let me do my best movie voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Joshua Lee. Uh... <laughs> so, yes, Ghost Lake. Um, wow. Uh, directed, directed, written and directed by Jay Wolfel. And starring Tatum Adair, Timothy Prindle, and Gregory Lee. Gregory Lee uh, Did you Kenny. say Wolfel the... or Wolfel? Wolfel. Woeful. It's literally W-O-E-L-F-E-L. I'm just making woeful. sure. I'm making sure yeah. it wasn't like a mispronunciation. <laughs> no, it's woeful. It's the wo- greatest coincidences ever. <laughs> Unintended comedy. So the film centers around a young woman who, uh, during a night of kind of sexual liberation, loses her parents to a gas leak in the house and then filled with grief decides to try and escape away to the family uh, cabin that's up there on this lake where then she is then accosted by uh, ghosts and thing and dead things coming up out of the water until it devolves into this whole like you know, this legend of where these ghosts or these people who drown in this lake come up and then they steal people away and drown them more in the you know, essentially it's part of a ritual to try and free themselves so they can roam the earth and kill at will um, and shit never really gets real so it has to be pointed out that the first first and foremost about this particular movie is one. This thing was damn near impossible to find. I could not find this on any streaming service, and even those those creepy little uh, those creepy uh, sites that you look for stuff. It was like, oh, maybe I can find it like streaming somewhere, like on like movies one two three dot u dot slide, whatever that crap. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere, but I was able to find. I was able to order a copy of it and watch it real quick today, and. So I apologize that Johnny and Eugene didn't get a chance to watch this, but you got a taste of what that of what was in that trailer. I'm that telling trailer, you, that was Camp I, Crystal Lake. I'm serious. <laughs> I don't know if they shot this up in New Jersey. The information I, on this is, is is scant at best. Look, so if you go back to that trailer and you look at the beginning where they have the shot of the pier and whatnot, that little boat ramp thing. Next I can, to t- I, I can tell you, you it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it. Not when you watch the movie, but I can say no, that I can't say this. That trailer is not indicative of what this movie is. That trailer gave a kind of like action style feel to it, we you know, especially with the music choice that they use in that. Oh, this yes, movie Power Man 5000 by the way. Somebody asked. Right. Okay. Yeah. This movie was slow. It was brooding. It was bad. Boring in some places. <laughs> the action in the movie never gets to the action level of that trailer. Um some healthy TNA, you know, you get a lot, uh, which which oh, I think is one of the few saving graces. But as far as acting goes, as far as writing goes, um, I will give it up a little bit for the special effects and what they were attempting to do. Uh, shooting underwater is always particularly difficult, especially if you're doing it low budget. And this is taking place in a lake, so you do get a bunch of underwater stuff. Uh, everything, in, uh, Virtually everything is practical effects, but you do have some where the ghosts are disappearing and the, the kind of weird overlay that you saw in the trailer <laughs> there. Um, so good. Some of, it, some of it's not so great, but I do like what they were trying to do. But unfortunately, in some instances, it's really, really obvious that they have a corpse puppet and then they're going like, ay, 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 ay. 
How's that coming? But, um, so uh because it's kind of like shaking it like you know like oh i have bony hands and i'm you know whatever but um but yeah not fantastic but i will say that i like uh, there were some moments there were some moments that were that were uh decent that were decently done the problem is is once again you're running into a same issue here with that it's at least not as bad as the thirst you're running but still running the same issue here when shooting outside is ext- it's extremely difficult, especially when you choose to shoot at night. I learned this lesson very, uh, this lesson the hard way, very early in my career. Trying to shoot at night and not being able to control my lighting and not being able to control my sound. And when you're, sh- especially when you're shooting out over on a lake and you have moments where people you're trying to be loud, where you're trying to capture conversation in that big wide open space, it can be very problematic. That's and a lot is lost true. in translation simply because you know. Cheap, you know, fairly cheap equipment, not really good planning, and of course, just trying to do something I think was a little more ambitious than they should have. Yeah, because there's so I didn't get a chance to see the movie as a whole, but I was definitely able to find some clips of it. Like I saw where the like the ghosts disappear in the end and stuff. Um, there's the lighting's not great. Like, like, you're, yeah, you're right, all. and. The thing is, it's hard to light at night, and the thing is, is you when you when you light a scene at night outdoors, you light to what people expect, not the way it really is. So a lot of times in night scenes, the moon will look blue. The moon, the moon is white. It is white mm-hmm. in real life, but because you're so used to seeing it as a blue tint, you you shoot for what people expect on it, and kind of you figure out different ways to create more of an ambient light because if it's too dark the camera doesn't get enough information and then gets grainy it can the the footage can really actually fall apart when you try to color grade it Mm -hmm. so but like looking at the scenes here is like well they're at night and they're by the lake and then you just have this huge spotlight just on like one part of the lake like that's just like Here's like here is here's a lake. I know people listening to podcasts can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but you just you <laughs> hear you hear the lake, and it's just like and it's not like I don't know if it's like it's supposed to be moonlight or if it's supposed to be some kind of light, something like that. Or, but I mean, this is like a prison camp spotlight on the lake, and I'm just yeah. like that looks bad. That the it just it looks really bad, but also at the same time. I've I've been noticing when you get the early 2000s, you're starting to see more and more independent filmmakers because access to equipment becomes easier. You're starting to get digital cameras. You're starting to get that way. And so a lot of times I feel like a lot of these early films are the forefronts. They haven't quite got it yet. Technology still needed to progress another five to ten years to really be able to make something like that look good at the true no budget level and it just wasn't there yet but even what they had back in 2005 they could have made it look better absolutely i think uh i'm not sure where see that this one is obviously i think was leagues ahead of where which is wild because uh the thirst came out 2007 this one came out in 2005 um I see, you know, at points where they were trying to shoot for something solid. I think this is just where you bite off more, where the, this group, this group of filmmakers bit off a little bit more than they could chew. That this was one of those ones that looked really, really good on paper, but as far as execution goes, they ran into problems that they couldn't quite deal with, like, on the spot. That happens all the time when you're in making films. You never know what you're going to run into, especially when you get out there and things are going and the, the production is chugging along. 
and then th- you know things happen. And it's good to try and plan for those things, but unexpected shit will always take place. And I think that happened a lot on this. And not to mention, the special effects budget that they had in this was allocated to something... Uh, Josh Willey says, Jail trying to capitalize on Blair Witch game as far as low budget. Well, that, Blair Witch was extra, extra, extremely low budget, but that but the, the, the success of Blair Witch Project was know where you're spending your money. If you don't have a lot of money... Marketing. You, that was predominantly in marketing was really, yeah. really smart. But also in the film itself, they knew what they were going for. They knew not to to shoot only what they needed. And no, no, don't try to bite off more than you could chew. Don't try to show too much. And that let, let the audience's imagination go, you know, like go where you want it to go. Because the audience is doing the work. Don't try to do the heavy lifting for the audience, especially when you have limited money to go with. Because when you do that, you're going to overspend yourself, which is why you get this this scene which really bothered me when all the dead bodies, all the drowned bodies that they're pulling out of the lake, all of, all of a sudden like get up and start attacking everyone. The vast majority of the ones in that in that scene had no makeup, so they're supposed to look like drowned dead bodies. And it would have been fantastic if they all get up and they tear out of their body bags and they're all like you know looking like Ted Danson and freaking Creep Show, but they didn't. So it was like okay, so you you got like normal looking people just doing this. Like, it was shot just kind of like, let's throw it in there real quick. And that was problematic because there's too many things that take you out of the movie, not enough to leave you invested. And then, of course, as far as acting, I mean, I, I understand that Adair did her absolute best. Um, but she jumped in there quick. I mean, the opening scene, like, within the first five minutes, she's already, like, you know, getting butt-ass naked, getting railed in a car. And I know they're, trying, they're, they're setting up her character in that respect, that this is kind of it. And she, that's why she feels so guilty because she was out having fun while her parents were dying due to a gas leak. Um, but trying to convey guilt and trying to con- – basically what the film starts out as is it tries to go – it tried to do Midsummer before Midsummer. Whereas the girl is like grief-stricken and she goes out alone to try and get away and escape from you know whatever by going to the family cabin where she, where she, she has her happiest memories. And then she starts seeing ghosts everywhere. She's seeing the ghosts of her parents, seeing ghosts of other people. And you're wondering, you're trying to set it up, that is she bringing this with her? Is this her grief speaking? And now she's just, now is she going nuts by herself? But then it quickly descends into just the kind of like the undead, drowned zombie thing where they're attacking the living and shit. And that's problematic. If your film doesn't really know what it is and doesn't know where it's going, you know, if you start in one area and it, it feels like a very, very, uh, what's the, the, the word I'm looking for? Um, oh damn it. Uh, uh, an unbalanced, the, 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 uh, the transition was very unbalanced and that you didn't know, we know we're going to wind up here, but we're starting from this area and how to get and how to make those two talk to each other. Uh, disjointed. You get a very, very disjointed picture, which I thought that this was. And I felt like, Adair's nudity and Adair's sex scenes in this, I think, were thrown in just because they needed it to keep people's eyes on the screen. That and I felt it's gratuitous. It was gratuitous. Yeah. It felt a little exploitative because it they don't offer anything to the plot, and they're just kind of like tagged on. It's like okay, well, let's we have this moment. We need to transition from this point to this point. So what's the plot vehicle? What are we? Where are we going to stick? What are we going to stick Ooh. in there to drive the plot? And unfortunately, Poor it happens to it hap- What do you mean the? What are we going to stick in there to drive? The yeah. Plot? <laughs> so what, what are we? What, what are we going to? What are we going to put in the movie to drive the plot from point A to point B in order to get in our train in the transition moments? Happen to be her body and her sexuality, which 
didn't sit well with me. I thought that that's kind of gross in that respect. I know I understand it's horror and it's you know it's a little exploitative, but it was exploitative not for being an exploitation film, which is different. It's a different mentality. And this one, it was just let's just put boobies in there. Let's just put you know some pretty you know, some pretty intense sex scenes in there just to get us from point A to point B. Like that's which, because they were expected to. Right. It's it's cheap and it, it cheapens the film and cheapens the story and cheapens her character. Um, it didn't do it didn't do any service to anything. You she could you could have had no sex whatsoever. The film would have been exactly the same. Bad. Which I, yeah, which which was which was unfortunately I don't know, maybe it would have been better because the, the sex scenes seemed so tagged on and, and superfluous, I was kinda like, why? I mean, if you're going to have nudity, if you're going to display this, like in Friday the thirteenth films, like slasher films. Why do people have sex? Because they murdered. are do what? To get them murdered. To get them murdered. Yeah. The sex scenes and the drug scenes and the alcohol scenes, they the scenes they serve a, a very specific purpose. And that purpose is is to display characters in a particular light that then wind up being that they're being punished for their sins. Like, you know, uh, you know, smoking pot or or drinking, you know, underage or or premarital right. sex. This one it was just, yeah, I understand you have this kind of empowered, you know, female character who was who you know is willing to you know is a you know getting getting hers yeah i think it's lazy doesn't play that way it's lazy yeah i think it's lazy to use uh well like like that's the only way that a woman can you know show dominance or powers by fucking her way through it i think that's i think it's incredibly lazy um there are so many different ways that you can show a strong female lead uh, that is powerful that's taking you know control of her situation without you know oh she's gonna fuck her way to the top or none of that bullshit i just think it's pretty lazy absolutely you know she can be just a good character yeah right exactly she can be well written Uh, like in in deadly eyes like in deadly eyes i like the way that that was done that was a that was a strong female character that took charge knew what she wanted and didn't fit any kind of archetype but that sex scene while i thought it was kind of like Okay, so we're having, but it worked. It worked towards the characterization. It, it worked towards not only her characterization, but his characterization as well. And I liked that. And I also liked the fact that you know you put in the situation where the hottie, the hottie student, is throwing him, throwing herself at him, and he rejects that. He shuts that down. But the minute she's out of the room, he's like, "Oh, willpower! Don't do this! Don't do this!" And, and then he, then he comes home, and she's like, she's in his bed. And he's like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" I like that. It 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 plays to the moment, and it right. plays to the character. This one didn't play to her character well. She's grief stricken. She's using sex to kind of like get through these darker moments. It's kind of like a, a band aid. I get that people do that, but in the in the context of this situation where she's on this lake, she's seeing ghosts and all this, it doesn't play and was not necessary because it doesn't add anything to her character. She doesn't find strength in that, and it, it's not empowering in any way. So it felt very much just the filmmakers needed something to kind of throw in there and just keep your eyes on the screen. And that, for me, it cheapened it. It was kind of like, I, you know, it was like, it kind of like put me off a little bit. So, Yeah, I can see that. I can see why they would yeah. put you off. <laughs> Nerd Journal says, Jason Voorhees has the same thoughts on unprotected sex as the conservative justices. <laughs> a lot of Supreme Court hate in this one. A lot of Supreme Court hate. Yes, yes. Not that it's unwarranted. That, yeah, that is that is true. That's a whole another podcast, a whole another discussion. But yeah, podcast. Yeah. But the Supreme yeah. Court's being stupid right now. Right. Rodinella's name says, uh, "Week in horror. Funny thought. Uh, funny that this week in real life, due to the drought here in the West, 
They found two bodies in an emptying reservoir, one or both likely a murder. Movie script waiting to happen. Interesting that interesting because we have a, I wrote a script that kind of centers around bodies in a lake and I can't reveal too much about it but kind of the same idea. Well, see, this is the thing you have to think about in terms of water. Right? I believe in every lake there's a body somewhere and there's bodies in the ocean. <laughs> so the thing is, is this: if we, there, you have a swimming pool and there's a body, you're not going to swim in it. But if you go into lake, people swim in lakes and people swim the in the time. ocean all the time. Yeah. So. What's really important is the body to water ratio. Yes. <laughs> yep. Standard Olympic pool body, no swimmy. Well, that's why nobody swims uh, up down there in Texas. That's why nobody swims at White Rock Lake. White Rock, Lake, bad. Bad. White Rock <laughs> Lake is a bad one. Oh, Charlie Weld says Lake Mead is receding. Bodies popping up all over the place. Yep. <laughs> Bodies popping up. I was like, that's not good. No. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Be like in the, the scene of the birds where the dog comes up with a with a femur. I've <laughs> been looking at the size of this thing. You think this came out of a chicken? <laughs> Rick Dukeman, man. I miss him so much. He was great. He was a funny guy. But the, the, I could see, uh, definitely um, a situation in this particular one uh, for this particular one is filmmakers. I like that they went they they kind of like went for it and you know, shooting on a lake is difficult. They had boat scenes where people were out on the lake. They had uh, they did a lot of stuff in the water, which is you know difficult um, as far as uh, like logistically speaking. Uh, you've got. Not only do you have the, the actors who are in the water, you've got divers that are around them as well. You've got the boats nearby to ensure that nobody gets hurt. Shooting in water is always really, really difficult. Uh, it reminded me very much of what what they were trying to do was a very was very ambitiously for their budget was what a recent movie called The Deep House did. And The Deep House was a horror film, basically a haunted house horror film that was entirely underwater. All of it's two scuba divers who go down to investigate this house. That is like that was like flooded and is underneath it, and they go in and the place is haunted. And there's ghosts everywhere, and they're trying to get out of it. It's which is a really really good film, but obviously from a logistics standpoint, extremely difficult to do. <laughs> and I like that they attempted to do this. Um, sometimes though, you just bite off a little bit more than you can chew, and this is one of those examples. So, but given the fact that there are zombies in this film, and we uh, talked, we talked. Is a that lot of, what they are? Are they zombies? I do. Well, I I actually I kind of called them the drowned, which mm. is kind of what they are. Just you know, like like waterlogged zombies. I don't know, but they also yeah. talk. Ghouls. They talk, and they they, they have ghouls. They're more carnival souls, ghouls. kind of. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, given the given that these undead creatures are coming in to grab people and drown them and add add to their collective, and you know, trying to complete this ritual to to free like themselves. I want to know, and we asked this question before when we were talking about another zombie-like film. I want to know what is your what is y'all's zombie plan? If the undead come, no matter what form they come in, whether they're infected zombies, whether they're drowned zombies, whether they're magical zombies, they're alien virus zombies, I don't care. If the zombies come, what are you going to do? Now we asked beforehand on another episode, like, what is your zombie plan? And we wanted y'all to send us your zombie plans. And the best zombie plan was going to get something from the Weekend Horror Vault. And we still want to know. Nobody... Oh, Revenants. Everybody says they're Revenants. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to know, what is your your zombie plan? If the zombies come, what are you going to do about it? So let us know what your zombie plan is. Email it to us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. The best one we're going to get, the best one we read, the one that impresses us the most... 
get something from the Weekend Horror Vault. So let us know at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Eugene, take us home oh. with this one because I have some things to say about this. I have I know, one I know, thing to say, one thing only. One thing only? Yeah. All right. <laughs> to end the night. At least it's not a. At least it's not an episode of witchcraft, uh, full of witchcraft. Okay, come on, give me that. No, you're. you're yeah, no, it's it's yeah. full of shit. I mean, I'm Charlie kidding. Welch, there is no length limit. Give us your best plan. I'm talking start to finish. Yes. What do you got? What do you got? Okay, I think go Aaron ahead, Eugene. All right, so finally we're talking about Aliens, which was released. Oh, I'm sorry. Arm of the Army of the Dead, which was released <laughs> May 21st, <laughs> last year. Play it. Just roll it says play it. Fucking footage. At least it looks good. That's true. You gotta admit that it, I, I agree with Nerd Journal. That's a hell of a trailer, though, isn't it? It's a good trailer. <laughs> but it's not. I swear. Movie. I swear. That's Eugene in the post-apocalypse. With that fucking, oh yeah, <laughs> with that high tension fucking sauce. <laughs> I do have X amount of weapons stored somewhere in case of a zombie apocalypse. Mega Pints and Scuba says, "Looks so stupid." <laughs> you are one hundred percent correct, Mega Pints of Scuba. All right, and I'm about okay. to tell you why. Breaker, breaker down. All right, dude, directed by Zack Snyder, starring Dave Bautista, Ellen Purnell, um, Omnery Hardwick, Ana de la Variga. Variga. You're so wrong for doing this to him. Theo Rosa. Ana de la Laguera. Laguera. Theo Rosa. <laughs> Nora. Nora Amuzenda. His Roko Swanda. Hero Yugi, Hero Yugi Sonata. <laughs> you look so wrong for Oh, he's killing me. Dave Batista, Ella Purnell, Omari Hardwick, yeah. Ana de la Ruguera, Theo Rossi, Matthias Schweigefer, Nora Arnazender, Hero, uh, Hero Yuki Sanada, Tignotaro, Raul Castillo, Huma Kureshi, and Garrett Dillahunt. Copy Sorry, and paste that. Yeah. A fucking, uh, Russian film in all Cyrillic language. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Stop doing that to him. I love I I just love it. I love the the, the he's never gonna get any better if we don't challenge him. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but let's make it ingredient like, like step up to the something like Jason Smith and then go from there. <laughs> exactly. He killed it on the Korean one. I know. He fucking I know. killed it! <laughs> wow. I don't know why I just understand Korean. <laughs> You know, fuck it out. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like, well, basically, it's just it's a heist movie. So you have a team that go in, they try to steal two hundred million dollars before uh, Las Vegas gets nuked, and they have to fight a bunch of zombies. Can I can I do it, or can I just do it and get it over with? Go sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it, okay. So yeah, that's what. What do you got to say? What do you have to say about this one? This this whole this whole movie is stupid. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you why. Oh, okay. Fuck the fuck the five year bullshit. Um, all this money is in a vault, mm-hmm. a vault underground. Did anybody see the problem with this? 
Anybody at all. They're gonna they gotta get into the vault and get the money out before they nuke the place. Because why? Because why? Matter of fact, the only person who makes it into the vault gets out of the vault after the place is nuked with all the money. What was that scene in Armageddon where What's his name said to the director? Ben Affleck, where Ben Affleck says, why don't they just train the astronauts how to drill? He's like, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up and do the scene, Ben. <laughs> this whole nothing, this whole thing, like that right there really just did it in for me. I did like, the whole smart zombie thing. I was like, okay, whatever, I can get past that. But the ending part where they go into like I gotta no, this is not in a vault. No, it's on whatever. It's like you gotta get it out of the out of all the the dealers table. You cash out the dealers table is a cage or something. Okay, but no, they go underground into a vault that's protected from these types of nuclear blasts. Yeah, like it's you just be oh like you could just walk <clears throat> in. Yeah, nuke the place really quick. We'll go get the money. Cool. Done. End of movie. So, End of movie. It's so a twenty minute movie. This is where it goes, so obviously. Okay, so the film itself is a visual spectacle, obviously. But, and we could, t- I mean, obviously the things about the film, uh, it looks fantastic. It's a Zack Snyder movie. You know, top of the line everything. And, I, and while I will give this, I did like, I do love the fact that Dave Bautista is taking on roles. Even though this is an action movie, there are moments in this where he gets to flex his chops as, as, and ha- with dramatic moments. And I do like that Dave Bautista is challenging himself with moments like this. I do. Because unlike The Rock, who is pretty much kind of the same character like every time. And I'm saying The Rock is not charismatic and he's not a, he's not a decent actor. Uh, he, he does his one thing well. He does his one thing extremely oh, well. He, he's, he's done a few things outside of outside of the norm, which actually kind of surprised me. Like his, his character <laughs> in Jumanji was, even though it was like your, your typical whatever, there was still a lot of depth to that character because he had to play like he was a, 15 year old you know scrawny teenager kid that part that where was like, inside he, the body yes. inside yeah, the body i thought he did that very well it was very and, well impressed and he, he was he's like, comedic oh, but he's comedic he's, he's you know that part he's great. strong in the comedy he does well with like like kevin hart the cia yeah was right. was, was hilarious especially yeah. when he was you know his face on the fat kid you know, that, that was just, <laughs> just brilliant but it was it was similar to ryan reynolds in just friends where right. he's kind of doing the same thing Comedy and action, you know, that was one thing. But getting a, an opportunity to flex your dramatic chops and really try to go deep into a character, they don't come around very often for big action stars like this. I like that Dave Bautista is trying to do this and is going in that direction. His, like in Dune, he's not your classic, I'm full of muscle and this is what I am. I like that he's trying to branch out and really, really grasp that stuff. Oh, him like and Blade that, Runner? Him right. and Blade Runner 2047. That was a fantastic <laughs> scene in the beginning with him. See, I love that. I love that he that he's trying to do that. So there's that. So the film in and of itself is a spectacle. It's just a visual feast. But there's there's problems here. And the big thing, and I think this is addresses something really, 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 really big. Zack Snyder penned a the, to do this motion picture with Netflix, and it's a multi picture deal. So the film in and of itself is it will have a sequel. There will be an Army of Dead two, and it is also opened up for other branching off films for the Army of the Dead or for uh, Army of the Dead universe, which is why we got Army of Thieves, which is a prequel story that, that centers around the Safecracker and is the reason why the Safecracker was chosen for the uh, for this job in the original film. The problem was this, and this is what really really aggravated me is when you watch the movie, it it very much felt like us. 
you watch the movie, it's like, wow, the visual appeal and spectacle. It's like, oh, it's like this about five minutes after the movie. That, yeah. About, yeah, you get lost in it. And then five minutes after the credits roll, you're like, wait just a fucking minute. And then the plot holes just start po- popping up all over the place. You realize why, and, you, and all these questions. But here's the, here's what I got. And what really kind of aggravated me. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this one. All of those plot holes... All of the issues that you had that, that that anybody critically would ha- would have of this movie, like every all the questions that aren't answered, all the like why was this in this? Why was this in there? What what the hell? What like when you walk out of there going, what the fuck is going on in this goddamn movie? That shit, and I feel and this is my opinion. It may not be correct. Maybe this is just bad writing. I don't know. But I got the the distinct feeling that that shit was done on purpose in order to justify a multi picture deal. So that you could basically secure it. So it's like we, we're going to go in here and we're going to drop this movie, and it's going to have all these problems in it, and all these like what the hell, like and you know all this shit, just to justify having more movies that can fill in the that can fill in those blanks or be or be able we'll watch this for an excuse to try and fill in all the holes that occurred in this particular movie. This thing, once I started thinking about it, struck me very much as a financial ploy. Netflix has got money. Netflix is is producing original content. This picture, this whole thing right here, this, I think the mentality behind this movie is an example of what is absolutely wrong with Hollywood. It's not just that it was a goofy fucking movie that we can laugh at and say that was goofy and silly and it was a good shoot 'em up and yay it was you know it was time well spent. It's not that it goes deeper than that. And I think the issue is this shows a growing problem. In that it's not so much about trying to make a good movie. It's about securing viewership and maintaining that viewership. That this right here is the like kind of like the evil like like the evil version of keeping your goddamn subscriber numbers up by ensuring that you're justified in putting out content that will keep people attached. And playing into that, aside from playing into the entertainment of making movies, that aggravated the fuck out of me. When I, the, I got I got more and more irritated the more I thought about this yeah. and realized. They're not doing this to make fucking movies. They're doing this just to just just to keep their fucking numbers up. And here's a problem with that. This is very problematic when you're talking about doing something. Uh, we can speak about this as content creators for YouTube as well. Doing things just to keep your subscriber count up. Just it, people are going to figure that shit out really quick, and that has a huge, huge margin of backfiring on you. Yes. Simply yeah. because it's a dangerous game. It is an extremely dangerous game because if that's if that's what Netflix is doing, and it, I kind of got that feeling, like because it, you know a lot of money went into this movie, and it, you know again it, it looks good, it, but like, the the plot holes are just so big. Like the, especially the biggest one is being there's no fucking need for them to do this in the first place. They drop the nuke, boom, get in and out. It could have been, hey, we're going to drop a nuke on here, you know, day but I can fix this movie right now. We're gonna drop a nuke on there. Dave Bautista says, "Hey, wait a minute! My family's still in there. My daughter's still in there. I gotta go get her out before they drop this nuke to get this money." Movie fixed. Plot hole fixed. Oh, while we're here, let's go try and steal this money. Not to mention yeah. throwing in, I mean, the zombie babies. Uh, um, why do they needed? Why do they needed the zombie? The the head of the zombie queen. Um, the the alien aspect. Robot zombies, which yeah. never gets to, all of these things deliberately put in there. To justify, we're going to do another movie. Well, the thing is, is when uh-huh. like when I was watching this, and it was just so flashy, and it was almost too flashy for me. 
It yeah. was like it was it was kind of like a hey, look over here, look over here, look over here, and ignore all this other kind of stuff. And it's like it's, whenever you like you watch something, it's like oh, okay, it's too flashy. There has to be something wrong. It's almost like right. it's like it's too much because just on basis of looking at things like the cinematography of it. Yeah, there's certain things just Zack Snyder style. Zack Snyder loves the slow yeah. motion. It loves a lot. And, and for certain films, it works really well. But like super thin depth of field. It, some of it even looked artificial. On it. yeah. It's almost yeah. kind of like if you use an iPhone, for example, and iPhones have the depth of field. For those of you who don't know what depth of field is, depth of field is what's in focus and what's out of focus. So sometimes you'll see a character in focus, the background's out of focus, the part that's in focus is your depth of field. And there's a lot of stuff of cameras that you work to make it look the way you want to. And it just kind of looked like it was a CG at, at points. Like it was CG, like they shot everything in focus and put like a Gaussian blur or something, or an iPhone type of blur on it, right. just to add the extra flash on it. And I was just kind of like, just get that visual why? aesthetic, yeah, yeah. And yeah. see, I think this kind of plays into what we were talking about in the first movie that we talked about. When talking about trying to hide the the hide the uh, everything wrong with the movie, the Zack Snyder just does it better because again, he knows how to use his gear. He knows how to do all this flashy shit. This is hey, look at take away from the fact that this movie makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Oh, cool, look, cool uh, zombie tiger thing. Oh, that's cool. Why? You know what I mean? Um, but it, this is just this is what happens when you know how to take a, take the audience away from the shit that doesn't make any sense. It just becomes instead of terrible lighting and bad blood effects. Now it's great lighting, great blood effects, too good. Super flash, flashing lights over here, explosions in the middle of Camp Crystal Lake because we need explosions in the middle of Camp Crystal Lake. You all know what I'm talking about. Shit <laughs> like that. <laughs> 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 that's that, that's what I, I mean aggravated the the most out of, the most out of it because now I don't like the mentality behind this I yeah. understand and it's it's uh, there were so many people who really just look at it for what it is it's a movie it was fun it's whatever the problem maybe I'm a bit too much of a purist in this respect and I like the mentality of making movies for the effort for entertaining people and yeah movies have to make money I understand that it is a business and that we have to make money on this. But I think that that mentality of keeping up, uh, keeping up particular numbers, having justifying uh, people coming back, where the where the the idea of making money first and foremost, and putting any notion of of kind of entertaining beyond just the the flash in the pan, like oh whoa, I'm distracted, and then I move on. I right. don't like that. Yeah. Well, there are better it, ways to accomplish putting butts in the seats and and getting the money train flowing. You know, when they were doing their, their original series, like, you know, uh, Stranger Things being one of them, there are some plot holes in Stranger Things and things that don't make sense for certain, but at least they, you know, put the idea into this. It was meant to be, you know, it was written out to be so many different seasons. It wasn't like, hey, let's just put a whole bunch of shit in here to, that doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever so we can possibly get more sequels. They tell a good story. And, and see... Oh, and see, like that's it. When if you talk about franchise building, because everybody wants the next big franchise, everybody wants the next big MCU. MCU yep. But people yep. forget when you look at Iron Man. Iron Man is a solid movie by itself. Yep. Yes. That was, you could not make another MCU movie, period, and Iron Man could still hold up on its own. So when you think of the greatest franchises that have come have started. 
look at the first Harry Potter movie. That could be self-contained into one good film. The Star Wars A New Hope. Um, it originally it's- was. It was never meant to be a trilogy. It was, it was meant to be. It was originally called just Star Wars. It was not episode four. It was just Star Wars. Exactly. And so it's like, if you want to build a franchise, start with making one really good movie. Because if you make a really good movie, then we're automatically going to want to see more from something coming out. Right. Tell a good story. Yeah. Tell a solid, complete story. Don't make it too many. Put some flash in there. Sure. You can have some flashy stuff in there. You can do some cool whatever cool monster effects or cool whatever have a weird zombie in there that has a thing that want to take her head just tell us why tell us why it's important inside of the film yeah don't leave it super ambiguous just stupid no because you, you get super ambiguous you get like the the latest tom cruise mummy movie we're gonna set up so much for the dark universe and da, 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 and they made a movie that doesn't make any sense and nobody cares and nobody, nobody cares yeah nobody cares. where's the dark universe now Still exactly. in the dark because nobody's watching it. And I know that, and that, that this this is what got me. It's like I watched, you know, I watched Army of the Dead, and hit everything like after this hit me like I was kind of like, what the fuck? I started thinking about it too much. Then I watched Army of Thieves, which was the prequel, which the prequel film centers around the safe cracker, and that movie was actually pretty good. But the reason that movie was good is because that one was character driven, and the writers were different, and I, I just that was just a fun, another fun little heist movie. Not to mention the uh, the actor who plays um, the thief in it. I'm going to make sure I, I get his name correct. The actor who plays that thief with I think is Matthias. Uh, yeah, Matthias uh, Schweigerfer. Um, he's an excellent, excellent fucking actor, and he nails that character beautifully. That was a different tone of movie, whereas this one was doing the, the that one's doing the zombie thing in Army of the Dead. That's why I like that. But I, d- I I wish they would just hide, or maybe just just hide the fact that they're doing this solely for the money, solely to to maintain viewership. When it's that brazen and that obvious, it it's it feels like a kick in the teeth. It's insulting to me as a viewer. It's an insulting. It's insulting to you know my decision to where I put my fucking money. And I kind of, I, I felt repelled when I started thinking about it. I was like, so this was lit, a movie made, assuming that the audience is going to digest this, is the lowest common fucking denominator. And it was like, so you put out this thing that's just this visual, like, blah, in your face. And then five minutes after, it's like, what? What the shit? And oh, the, oh and there's going to be, like, you're planning, like, two more direct sequels and then several, like, tie-ins. This is a major thing. Like I said, a cinematic universe. And it's like the Army of the Dead universe that they're planning. But they're only doing it to, to try and get that Marvel effect. And it's dishonest. Oh, I mean, technically, it's as honest as you can. It's like literally just way too honest in, in, from one perspective. But I didn't like it. I felt it was disrespectful. I felt it was insulting and a waste. This is the big thing that gets me. Maybe it's because I, you know, as an indie filmmaker, money is everything when you're making a movie, it is everything. This came off like a giant waste of fucking money, because if you have the amount of money that goes into a, that goes into a film like this, the budget on this thing was between seventy and ninety million. I don't think, uh, not including, oh dang it, sorry, not including seventy and ninety million, not including marketing on this thing, and not to mention that the stars attached to it, the visual effects that were attached to this. I mean, everything that went into this and box office recorded box office is little over a million. Well, I don't. 
Well, I don't know. And it says a little over a million. I don't know because when this came out, theaters were still closed. So it premiered a lot on streaming. So I don't know how accurate the one million for box office is. True. Given that. But, oh, God, fucking. I don't like it when huge amounts of money, which I've seen what can be accomplished when you have a director who has a vision, when you have writers that you have strong writing and you are trying to tell a cohesive story that both entertains people and makes money. I've seen what you can do with that, with that with that $90 million. And then you turn around and you give us this. That is $90 million that could have been better spent. That is ninety. That is money that could have gone to actors that were, that were stronger than this. That is $90 million money that could have gone to a story that was better. And it's just... They, that's why it's so problematic. But I don't think, and I think this is the the harbinger of it. I honestly don't think the best that, that these that the studio deals that are behind this they don't give a shit anymore, or they're they, starting to not give a shit. It's yeah, I can see that. They they don't, and everybody is trying to shortcut. Like I said, talk about with the ultimate movie franchise at MCU, people are trying to shortcut to the Avengers level. And you can't. It works with the MCU because they were able to build, they put the time in so when the first Avengers actually comes out, we're hyped about it. We're like, man, we've been waiting for these characters because you have so many strong films Mm -hmm. that led up to Avengers. And you have strong films in between Avengers 1 and Avengers 2. They keep people invested. This is why they're able to drop four or five movies a year and then all of them are going to go and make money. MCE, Disney did not shortcut it all the way. Yeah, there's a couple of bad ones sprinkled in there, sure, whatever, but they didn't shortcut to get to the process. The DC tried to shortcut it. Now they're having problems. They'll get a gym every once in a while. All these other franchises are trying to shortcut. Well, let's drop all the let's drop a ton of Easter eggs and ton of this. And also thinking back on and I was thinking this with Zack Snyder. I think every once in a while a big name director should go back and do a small budget film. Just to get reacquainted, Mike Flanagan does this all the time. He'll do a big budget, small budget, big budget, small budget to because that small budget gets you back into the focus on what counts. What am I going to focus my money on? How I tell a good story with limited resources. That's how I get creative where I don't have the option to throw money at a problem. And it keeps you sharp as a filmmaker because even Quentin Tarantino would go back down to like the Hateful Eight after doing some of the you get Django Unchained, then go back to Hateful Eight that takes place in a little cabin, and that's just it. Maybe going back and doing a small budget of five, ten million dollar film every once in a while keeps you sharp as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's possible that Zach Zach Snyder's kind of like bought into his own hype. Um, I liked his stuff. I mean. I, I, I really enjoyed his 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. Um, I liked where he started from. And then, of course, now we have this and his work. And I, I don't know. I think uh, the, the I guess the commercial the commercial ideology has just has taken over. And I think that Army of the Dead, for all of its visual appeal and all of the kind of like, you know, in your face, kind of like entertaining in that respect, I think ultimately undermines the it doesn't just undermine the genre of of the multiple genres it was covering it undermines the audience itself and undermines filmmaking in general this is not the reason like i said this is solely my opinion and maybe it's just because i'm a purist and i and i but it's a hill i'll die on this is not why you make movies you make movies for one one because they're fucking fun 
You make movies two to tell a story to an audience. You make movies three to make money. So you can make more movies. That's the point. And this uh, this totally throws all that at you. This is just, yep, solely money-making scheme. That's all it is. These fuckers will watch anything. And all we need to do is flash a bunch of flashy shit up there. And then they'll and they'll pay money for it. But is that necessarily? Is that like I don't know who's to, who's to blame for that? Who's to blame for that? Are we to blame for that as audience members because we we turn up to watch that shit, knowing what we're getting into? I mean, look at Michael Bay. Has he turned out a hit? Sure, financially. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, how many people went out knowing that? the remakes of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street were going to be trash, but they still wouldn't watch it. When when the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street is the highest grossing in the entire goddamn franchise, that's that that's a, that's a symptom of this. That is like right. one of the signs. Yeah. So that's my, that's my, whose fault is that? Is that the filmmaker's fault? Is it the moneymaker's fault? Or is that the audience? Are we the ones who are, are allowing this to happen? That's the hard, that, that's the hard question. Yeah. It really, really is because... <laughs> The remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, highest grossing in the entire franchise. I mean, it, it made bank. Yeah. Haven't made another one since. And when did that one come out? Like 2010? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, the yeah. 2000, the, the, the Nightmare remake came out in 2010. The, the uh, Friday remake came out in 2009. We haven't heard hide nor hair shit about any of them since then. So, right. yeah, they, they, they make this money, then they're just gone. They, mm, it's that mentality that's killing it. Yep. Thankfully, we have people, we have indie filmmakers who are still kind of carrying the torch and being, I guess, legit, like legitimate filmmaking. And I know that that sounds elitist and shit, and I was worried about sounding like that, but you know what? Fuck it. I am purist when it comes down to this. I want to make movies. I make movies. I like writing good, strong stories. I like writing good, fun characters. I like making movies, so I, and I hope that they do make money so we can make more movies. I'm in that same business, but you, I, you will never catch me you know, trying to just ride the fucking cash wave. Yeah. And Tony Regime brings up a good point. He says, with MCU, you have decades of comics to use for plots for the films. Absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about you know, we're talking about starting a, a multiverse or multi, you know, the MCU type, whatever. You know, they've got tons of stuff already there. They already have a built-in audience to that thing. I mean, it takes DC to figure out how to fuck that shit up, but whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you're gonna start the, you know, Zack Snyder. We're gonna start this, whatever, this multiverse with what with this fucking stupid ass movie. I mean, I'm sorry, Zack Snyder, if you're watching this, I'm sorry, this movie's garbage. Uh, fix your plot holes and then maybe we'll talk. But yeah. you know, nobody can, there's nothing that outside of zombies, there's nothing that's going to bring me into this as oh man, we've got you know years of whatever. Despite all the trashing that we've done on this, I do want to say there was one really, really bright point that I fucking loved in this movie. And I don't want to tell, like, I'm not going to shit on, I'm going to shit on 90, 98% of it. Hmm. 98% of it. There was 2% that was a one bright point. And I'm going to, and I'm going to shout out to her. Tig Notaro was fucking amazing in this movie. And for more than one reason. One, Tig is funny as fuck. That, she is, like, I, I love watching Tig stand up. I love her as, uh, as a comedian. I think she is absolutely amazing. Tig is great, and she was phenomenal in this one. And she sold me when she has that one line when they're doing the recruiting, and David Patisse is going to all his former his friends and being like, "Hey, we got this job that's going on." 
And she sold me that moment when he walks up to the fence. She's talking to him behind the fence. He was like, so we got this job. He's like, I'm totally in. What you don't want to hear about it is like, why? My life is so like like my life sucks so bad right now <laughs> it's just like <laughs> i loved her character but this is what's also wild it goes to show her her immense and phenomenal talent and i hope to i hope i'm gendering her correctly i keep saying she but i i got the sneaking suspicion that i am not gendering her correctly and if i'm not i, I apologize for that um so yeah, i need I mean, to i think it's a she she's going to she still Okay, I I if I don't want to I don't want to uh, misgender her. So I didn't even it suddenly clicked in my head. I was like, huh. So, but yeah, if I I don't mean to, but anyway, she um, what was wild about this role was about her role was that Tig Notaro shot that movie, that role that she was in, this ensemble piece. She shot all of her stuff alone, which was wild because. She was because the part that she played was recast. That originally Chris D, uh, Chris Delia was going to was go, was playing her role of the helicopter pilot, and Chris Delia was let go from the production due to some sexual harassment or uh, what was it? Uh, I think uh, sexual misconduct issues. So Chris Delia was let go from the role, and when uh, Tig Notaro was brought in to replace him, but she all of her performance had to be digitally inserted into it which means she had to go through and watch all of his performance and mime that performance against a green screen so that they could take her out and digitally insert her into the movie after the fact that's fucking and they and they did it seamlessly it was fantastic you'd never suspect that she wasn't there you know the 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 money that they'll spend to cover uh cover some you know sexual harassment but right how long does it take to put Weinstein in jail? Yeah, it depends. It, 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 on the ladder. That's when it happens. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, uh, it was uh, all the money in the world when oh, Kevin Spacey had to be when Kevin Spacey was removed. They brought in Christopher Plummer. Oh, I got something to say about Spacey. And Christopher Plummer did that entire. I think it was Christopher Plummer did that entire role. Like they basically kind of like reshot everything that Spacey had done, and they just basically recast it and re- redid the entire thing, which was quite impressive. But this one. To digitally remove an actor and replace him with a digitally inserted actor who has to, who everyone else has already done. Yeah. And and then she's got to go in there and react to everybody who's not around her <laughs> and deliver those lines and mime every mime the previous performance and deliver in her own way. Holy shit. Yep. She is she is phenomenally talented and is one of the one of the best parts of this over her her, her one-liners her quips she's the 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 snap uh, the um the sassy helicopter pilot and the whole sequence when she's saying uh, i think we need to decide who we should let die if someone's gonna die like who it should be like who should be most protected because i'm thinking on the lit on the hierarchy i'm up there because you know <laughs> i am the only one who can fly the helicopter, the helicopter so i think i'm pretty important <laughs> but i'm thinking if we're gonna let someone out, we let that guy die because i don't like him and he's kind of creepy so let's do that she's fucking she's brilliant yeah. <laughs> so i wanted to i wanted to give a spotlight to tig in this one because she kicked ass in this movie and it's the only reason, uh, one of the reason, one of the few reasons to watch this flick. So. You know, again, I, to highlight some good things about this because I don't want to talk shit. The performances from the from the cast were good. They were good performances all over. Good, good, good chemistry, yeah. yeah. Good chemistry. Uh, you know, we didn't like the people we weren't supposed to like. 
you know, we love the people we're supposed to love. So that that part was good. The, the cast of this film did a fantastic job. It was just the writing. Just, yeah. But actually, I want to ask the audience, are you excited about the sequel? No. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> That's a hard no. That's a hard no. Hard, hard pass. Uh, are you excited about a sequel to Army of the Dead or the potential of the Army of the Dead universe? Because, I don't know, maybe a zombie hierarchy in a different way that could be kind of interesting to play with um about it but yeah definitely let us know are you excited comment below or shoot us an email at leakyhorror at email.com maybe maybe send eugene some way to get the sock off his microphone <laughs> exactly it's a little it, it just sound a little muffled there um johnny's giving me the indicator that's just uh, that we're just over the two hour mark so yes i see that i have the timer on my screen so uh, i guess it's trivia time is it I'll it's trivia it. time. My let's time. get the, let's do it. Uh, my time down here. Goonies <laughs> 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 Well done. It's All our right. <laughs> 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 this is our time down here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this week we are going to give away. Oh yeah. What are we giving away? A week in horror limited edition number five shirt. So that's, before that's, this one leaves the store, we're going to give away a limited edition number five shirt. And uh, Raven Darsh says, is it on DVD? I believe it is out on Blu-ray. I think uh, Army of the Dead is out on Blu-ray. Should be. Yeah. So uh, we can horror limited edition five shirt to the one who can uh, answer this trivia question correctly. And this is kind of a tough one. So I'm trying to make it a little tougher because people tend to answer them like, like within two seconds. And I tried to find some more challenging questions. So uh, take it away, Johnny O. All and right. I, I'm going to pull up the um, got the live live. I'm pull up the yeah. live stream. Cool. Let me know when you're ready with that. This is a good one. Get your Google fingers ready. I don't know. I think I think I think Travis might know this one. I think he's going to know this one right off the bat. Pretty quick. Okay. All right. So here we go. This is what I want to know. What studio is credited with reviving the creature feature genre after purchasing the syndication rights to Universal's Shock Theater in 1957? Once more, what studio is credited with reviving the creature feature genre after purchasing the syndication rights to Universal's Shock Theater in 1957? Let's see who can get this one first. You know, I actually dove in, researching this, I actually dove in is pretty hard. I had... I was kind of blown away. I had no idea that the answer to this, the answer to this one, they've been around this long. They've been around a long time. Yeah, and I didn't realize they've been around this long. Yeah, mm. I was like, damn, and their history is pretty impressive. So um, let me see here who we got. Who we got? Um, Nobody Tony says 20th Century Fox. Nope, not 20th Century Fox. Oh, hey, Extra J, good to see you. He's just in time for the trivia question. And I see, oh, to Mystique Tina Jones, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Says the answer is 42, obviously. Obviously. Well, that was the answer last week, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charlie Wells says, Pixar. Nope, not Sir Pixar. Chasm. There it is. <laughs> that is correct. Awesome. The yes, answer the answer. Green Gems back in 1957. My goodness. Anna George, Channel 10. 100% correct. Anna George said, Channel 10. <laughs> oh, and George Bobby. I see Anna George said as well, just in time for the trivia question. Oh, Raven Dark Star. Unfortunately, it wasn't Miramax. Miramax wasn't around that long, but uh, but Screen Gems, I was impressed to find out, have been around since the early 1900s. And yeah. it was like, I think it was like 1921. Uh, 
I thought it was twenty two, but I could be wrong. I was, I was like, and I was like, wait, wait, Scream Gems, the uh, the production company behind the Resident Evil f films. I was like, holy shit! It's like they've been around for a hot minute, and they were founded, yeah, founded nineteen twenty one. So over a hundred years, and they've done everything. They started out in like, uh, they started like as an animation studio, and then kick off, and then eventually well, everything out as an animation studio back then. Everything was animated, right? And then they quickly turned into a television subsidiary. And when they went into television, uh, when they became a television subsidiary, that's when they, in 1957, they acquired the Shock Theater uh, uh, syndication rights from Universal. And so they kind of, with their with their television uh, shows, they were they were the ones behind like Fright Night, and so they they're the ones that kicked off the creature feature again, and they kind of revived it from the early 1900s. It's the reason why, and they are literally the the foundation behind why we have the creature features that we had through the 60s, the 70s, 80s, and so right. on and so forth. So I had, had no idea how uh, how deep they were in as far as uh, film history goes, but Scream Gems. So congratulations to Sir Chasm for picking up a limited edition number five shirt. I've got that written down. We'll get that printed out and sent to you ASAP. Congrats. Yay. Yay. Oh, excellent. Sarcasm did get that DVD. Oh, great. That's good to hear. Fantastic. If you oh, want to know right. what he's talking about, he is a member of our Patreon. He is. <clears throat> what uh, was it? The Masterminds? Sarcasm is a Mastermind level patron of Week in Horror. And Masterminds get a random horror movie every single month. So if you uh, said that something interesting you from the you know, some random horror movie from the vault, uh, we'll send that out to you every single month. You get uh, just a random selection. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's uh, I've we have the, occasionally they've been uh, Castle Freak. Do what? Oh, so, <laughs> Castle Freak was a good movie. Uh, and occasionally, uh, occasionally there are movies that where it's like one disc, but it's like eight movies on one disc. So sometimes you get more than that. So, but yeah, congratulations, Sir Chasm. All right. Well, that will bring. Another episode of Week in Horror to a close. I know uh, Johnny and Eugene are happy about that because this was this was kind of a tough one. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at the gory and gruesome Skull the Mask. It's a it's a gross one. <laughs> it's it's kind of nasty. Seventies slasher fun in Pigs, the TV adaptation of Stephen King's Desperation, and the zany creature feature Ticks, starring Seth Green. <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to send a special shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Week and Horror the incredible success it has become thank you all so very much you see your names down there in the banner we could not do this show without you from our fanatics all the way to our masterminds we love each and every one of you we'd $1, like to uh, $100 you guys are great Yes. <laughs> Be sure to stop by Joshua Olson's store, www.badsamurai.store. He does all of the amazing artwork that you see on Weekend Horror, all of our t-shirts, all of our uh, season artwork. He's uh, hard at work currently doing new stuff for us. His designs are absolutely incredible. Be sure to check that out, badsamurai.store. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials where you will get the daily splatter right to your feeds. And check us out at Digital Darkness, our new YouTube gaming channel hosted by Patron Alien X Gaming. He's kicking ass over there. I can't wait till we get the quarry over there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Remember, you too can help combat the evil algorithm by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smash that bell as if it were UA Bowl waving a new game adaptation script at you for all the latest updates from the show. And lastly, if you love what we do here and you would like and are able to support the production, you can through our Patreon. 
all kinds of benefits to it because we all go a little mad sometimes. Join the Weekend Horror Patron by, one, by joining one of our subscriber tiers. You can follow our fanatics, slashers, possessed, and mastermind patrons for all kinds of behind-the-scenes, access to Weekend Horror Podcast, free movies every month, join us as a special guest for our bloodbath debates, or come hang out with us in the after dark. All kinds of cool stuff coming. But if Patreon, Patreon is not your favorite method of stalking us, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to all of this, including our Discord community, where you can find trailers, trivia games, horror, mo- horror watch parties, and share your own content, and even interact directly with us, are down in the description below. As always, sharing the show amongst other fans in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us further our goals of global horror domination. Thank you all so much for being the greatest audience a little horror podcast could have. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm a little fat guy. Now you're still taking kind of a big fat guy. Yeah. We'll see you all next week. And as always, stay scared. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>